This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. A Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash starts now. 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Jennings producing today's show. You out there. I know the hangover from the World Series ending is still kind of sitting there for people. But the Phillies are already doing things that we need to get into as this offseason. A highly anticipated one. What's next? For the Phils, we'll dive into that. Eagles getting ready for the Commanders. The coordinators are speaking today or already have spoken today. We've got some interesting tidbits on that. A lot of talk about the halfway point. It's election day for everybody out there who's uh, heading out to vote. You've got uh, all these midway point conversations that I think are interesting to dive into where we are halfway through the NFL season, what we know, what we think we know. And look, what we know and what we think we know eight weeks from now are going to be a lot different. I can tell you that right now. Things you think now will change eight weeks from now. That I can promise you. And one thing that a lot of people seemingly are still uh, unable to come to terms with is that the Philadelphia Eagles are a pretty good football team. All right? We could try to tiptoe around every way possible, if you don't like this team, to try to come up with excuses and reasons why you might not like them, most of which are pretty frivolous, including the world-famous, well, they haven't really played anybody. Listen, I ask everybody out there, if you are listening to my voice right now, I ask you to text me at 609-403-0973, and please tell me, all right? What NFL teams do you actually consider good teams? For example, if your favorite team beats these teams, you'd be impressed by that. Because I can't find very many. And what makes the Eagles right now, right now, eight weeks from now, maybe they're not the best team in the league. But what makes the Eagles most impressive is they're 8-0. They haven't stubbed their toe. They didn't lose a game against the Vikings. They didn't lose a game against Dallas. They haven't lost against the Commanders. They didn't lose against the Jags. And you might say, well, none of those teams are any good. But the point is, they are winning the games. Buffalo hasn't done that. Buffalo has a chance to run the table and be perfect. Hasn't happened. Kansas City has had a chance to be perfect and run the table. Hasn't happened. And you might say, well, they're playing better teams. Are they? Are the Buffalo Bills really playing better teams? Are the Kansas City Chiefs really playing better teams? I mean, the Rams stink out loud. The Rams stink right now. Now, at the beginning of the year, we could look back eight weeks and kind of reevaluate what we thought of some of these teams. When we saw the Buffalo schedule and they played the Rams, we thought the Rams were going to be pretty good. They were the defending Super Bowl champions. They played the Titans. That's a solid win. They lost to the Dolphins. They beat the Ravens. Okay, the Ravens are a solid team. They beat the Steelers, who stink. They beat the Chiefs. It's a good team, obviously. They beat the Packers, who stink right now. And they lost to the Jets. So really, 
when we look at Buffalo and give them credit, it's a good team. But who have they really beaten other than the Chiefs? We always said, unless you're beating the Chiefs or the Bills, you're not getting credit because everybody else stinks. So the Rams were a team we thought was going to be good. We thought Green Bay would be good, but they're not. Neither one of those teams is any good. So Buffalo, in reality, really hasn't beaten anybody. You could say the Chiefs is their best win, followed by the Ravens. Are the Chiefs and the Ravens any much better than beating Minnesota and Dallas? Eh, Probably not. Kansas City has beaten the Cardinals, who are wretched. The Chargers, who are pretty average. Tampa Bay, who stinks. The Raiders, who might be the worst team in the league. They did beat the 49ers, but are the 49ers any good? I mean, I like the Niners, but is it an impressive win? They beat them in San Francisco, so I'll give you some extra points there. And they beat the Titans in overtime. So Kansas City's two best wins are essentially against the 49ers and the Titans. 49ers are 3-4. and The best win Kansas City has is against a team that is three and four on the season. Well, okay, who else is there out there? I want to hear from you. And listen, I am. let's take out Eagles territory, Eagles fan out of this. I'm looking around the league, and I'm trying to find teams that I deem to be good teams. We do who's in and who's out. I'm having trouble finding seven playoff teams on each side of the ledger. Is Buffalo a good team? I think they are. Are the Jets a good team? I think they are. I think they're good. Am I impressed if I beat the Jets? Eh, I don't know. Am I like, do I, if I beat the Jets, if the Eagles beat the Jets, would we quantify that as, oh, that's a good win? You, you beat a good team. Or would that go in the category of, well, you still really haven't played anybody? Beating Miami, I think the Dolphins are a pretty solid team. But I look at the Dolphins' schedule. They beat the Patriots, who are okay. They beat the Ravens. I think the Ravens are a pretty solid team. They beat the Bills. Well, that's a good win. They lost to the Bengals. They lost to the Jets. They lost to the Vikings. Now, I get it. They did not have Tua in those games. So, they lost to the Bengals, who I think are an average team, uh, who went to the Super Bowl last year. But guess what? They're just not as good as that Super Bowl team is to this point. They lost to the Jets. They got blown out by the Jets, by the way. They lost to the Vikings. That's interesting. The Vikings are a team that we don't think is very good. They're 7-1. and one. The Eagles beat them. I guess if Miami beats the Vikings, that must mean the Vikings aren't all that good. They beat the Steelers 16-10. to 10. That's funny because Philadelphia really bombed the Steelers, but I guess the Steelers aren't all that good, so do we give Miami credit for winning 16-10? to Probably not. They beat the Lions 31-27. They gave up a lot of points to the Lions. It was a tough game against the Lions. Somebody else had a tough game against the Lions and don't get a lot of credit for that win, but let's move on. They beat the Bears 35-32. So are the Dolphins a good team? I don't know what to quantify the Dolphins as. I think they're a good team. Are they a great team? Probably not. If your team beats the Dolphins, do you say we beat a good team? Eh, okay, maybe. So those teams right there in the AFC East, they're all solid. 
if you beat any of them, I think Buffalo's the one that kind of stands out. If you beat the Jets, okay. If you beat the Dolphins, all right. If you beat the Patriots, are you impressed by beating the Patriots? Hmm, probably not. If you beat the Ravens, are you impressed by a game that you beat the Ravens? I think the Ravens are a solid team. They're just not spectacular. They're a good, solid team. The Bengals have been highly disappointing. I think the Bengals are better than their record says, but 5-4. and four, If I beat the Bengals, did I beat a good team? If I beat the Browns, did I beat a good team? No. If I beat the Steelers, no, I did not beat a good team. The Steelers are bad. If I beat Tennessee, I think Tennessee's solid, but nothing special. I mean, do we think Tennessee's really a Super Bowl contender? No. How about Indianapolis? They fired their coach. Nah, beating them isn't impressive. If you beat Jacksonville, is that an impressive win? Not really. They are the only team in that division, by the way, a plus 21. Somehow they're 3-6 and six and have scored 21 more points than they've given up. And obviously, if you beat Houston, that's not impressive. If you beat Kansas City, I think we'd be impressed. If you beat the Chargers, eh, it's okay. If you beat the Broncos or the Raiders... I don't think anybody's impressed by all that. If you beat the Cowboys, is that impressive? Probably. But you played Cooper Rush. That's funny. I don't see anybody talking about the 26 points the Dallas defense gave up in that game. You know, the Dallas defense is supposedly pretty good. They couldn't stop Philadelphia's offense. So I'll give you the Cooper Rush thing. Sure, I'm on board with that. You beat the Cowboys with the backup quarterback. But the Eagles also scored 26 points in that game. Let's not forget that the Dallas defense had chances to do their job and kind of came up a little small. So if you beat the Cowboys, we seemingly aren't impressed by that because they had Cooper Rush playing. Fine. The Giants, if you beat them, would you be impressed by that? Hmm, I don't know. Some people are. Some people aren't. It seems that some people want to say the Giants are good at 6-2 and two and that you're impressed by them. But if you beat them, would that be a quality win or not? Probably not. You beat the Commanders, would that be a big win? No. How about Minnesota? 7-1. and one. If you beat Minnesota, would that be a quality win? Well, you beat Kirk Cousins. He's just blah. Well, they've got Justin Jefferson, who everybody at one point was going crazy about. Dalvin Cook is picked first in most fantasy leagues, right? So if you beat Minnesota, is that a quality win? I'm trying to find teams that are actually quality wins, people. If you want to help me out, 609-403-0973. Green Bay stinks, Chicago stinks, Detroit stinks. So beating those teams don't get you anything. How about beating Tampa Bay, Atlanta, New Orleans, or Carolina? Do I get any points for them? Probably not. If I beat Seattle, are you impressed? They're 6-3. and three. Are you impressed by that? No, not impressed by that either. San Francisco, the Rams, and Arizona. If I beat any of them, do I get any street cred? Doesn't sound like it. So who can I beat to get any? Who can I beat to get any um, street cred here? Is there a team that I just mentioned? If I said, you know, we beat that team, and you would say, I'm impressed by that. Do you have one for me? Well, I think that the problem with this conversation is that the people who are making this complaint, Mike, are are sitting at the at the meeting point of two different problems in the NFL. The one problem is is that, you know, for every team or win or game or scenario that you or I, Mike, may say, that was a good moment. That was impressive. 
There are some people, no matter what you show them, they're going to tell you that you're wrong. So, you know, you literally got to make a choice sometimes to say some of these people, I'm sorry, but your opinion is ill-placed. Because the other side of this meeting point is the fact that today's NFL in 2022 is not the NFL of years ago, where when the NFL wanted parity, remember, Mike, we always heard about the league wants everybody to have a chance to win, right? How many times has John McMullen talked to you about that here on this show, right? Well, the problem is, is now in their burgeoning desire to be competitive, the league, as somebody else has pointed out to me, is turned into college football. The NFL is like college football now, that there's only a handful of teams that can actually win the championship, and everyone else is kind of in this like middle ground where they're not great, they're not horrible, they're good enough to win football games. And so the problem is, is that the person who's listening to us and who texted at 609-403-0973 can say, hey, this wasn't a good win. But guess what? It is a good win. Because your measurement for a win has to change because the league has changed. I'm willing to play along and agree. If you want to tell me, look, I'm not impressed by the Eagles because they haven't played anybody. Who could they play that would change your opinion? Is that team out there? I don't know if it is. I don't think it is. That's the point. So if the point is, hey... I don't think the Eagles have played anybody, which is what I hear a lot from a lot of, you know, mostly Dallas Giant fans, people who are kind of have this, I don't want to say jealousy because they have all these Super Bowls. The Eagles certainly do not. (laughs) But there is a portion of the people who live in this area Mm -hmm. who are miserable by the fact that I don't want to be an Eagles fan, so I've chosen to root for teams that aren't from the hometown And then when the hometown team is good, I don't want to give them any credit. So I want to pull them down to my level. Right. I ask those people, who could Philadelphia beat that would make you say, I'm impressed by this 8-0 start? Like if they were 8-0 and beat San Francisco, the Rams, Tampa Bay, these are teams that people thought were going to make the playoffs before the season started. Maybe um, Buffalo, Kansas City. So if they won and beat Buffalo and Kansas City instead of Dallas and Minnesota, would we think any differently about this team? I'm sure people with their their gut reaction to that question, Mike, is yes. But the issue is, is that guess what? Dallas and Minnesota are two of the top five teams in the conference. Yeah, listen, and I'll be the first to tell you, You might be the best team today, but that doesn't mean you're going to be the best team on February the 12th. Very true. So just because Philadelphia at 8-0 might be the best team through eight games, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win the Super Bowl. But if you're sitting here watching this season unfold and you see this Philadelphia team, now look, I get it. There are times teams are undefeated and you're like, eh, I don't really believe in that team. What would it be about this team you wouldn't believe in? Well, I haven't played anybody. Well, who could they play that would change your mind? There's a lot of variables and layers here that I'm trying to find out. You're trying to to decipher the Rubik's Cube here. Well, to me, it seems to me more of I don't want to give them credit because I don't like them. 
more than I want to give them credit because I think they're a good team. I feel right. like there's just a lot of people who just want to play that, ah, they haven't played anybody. Well, who could they play? Who could they play? And this goes for anybody. Buffalo is 6-2. and two. I just gave you their schedule. They haven't played anybody. In fact, I told you last week, Philadelphia has played the 12th most difficult schedule in football. 12th. Not the best. Not the worst. 12th. Tougher than Buffalo. Tougher than Kansas City's. So, in reality, this whole they haven't played anybody actually isn't really holding water. Look, they have played Dallas, who's 6-2. and two. They've played Minnesota, who's 7-1. and one. Between those two teams, they're 13-3. and three. They played Washington, who is 4-5. and five, And you would say, well, that's not any good. 4-5 and five right now is one of the best records in the entire conference. Uh, sadly, uh, let me see something real quick with Washington. If the playoffs were to start, Washington, okay, they're a half a game behind San Francisco. San Francisco is 4-4. Four and four. They are the seventh playoff team currently. Right. Then Atlanta, then Washington. So essentially, Washington is a half game out of a playoff berth. Yet, if they beat Washington, we're not impressed by that. What teams are you impressed by? 609-403-0973. Mike, it's like you said multiple times in the past. All they can do is play the schedule. And that's what they're doing. At the end of the day, 8-0 is dominant no matter who you've played so far. That's from Tom and the Villas. Well, here's the thing. The 8-0, is it, does it give you a passage to the Super Bowl? No. But seeing what just happened to the Jets, uh, to the Bills, you don't always have your best. And when you don't have your best, can you still win that game? Buffalo did not. Philadelphia has. Because there's been times where Philadelphia hasn't had its best. They just went to Houston and did not play their best game. I don't know how many people actually saw it. But if you watched them play Houston on Thursday night, the Eagles did not look their best. But yet they still got out of there with a win. Right. And that, to me, is when you look at Buffalo. Buffalo has two losses this year. They lost two games they should not have lost. That's the difference. Are you winning the games you should win? Philadelphia is. And there's a couple games that have been questionable. I mean, Minnesota's 7-1. If I would have told you Philly has one loss and it's to Minnesota, that doesn't mean you lost to a bad team. Maybe you just didn't play your best that day. But that's the point. They're winning on days when they play their best. They don't play their best when they don't have it. And that's the sign of why I think we have to get past this. They haven't played anybody thing. Mike, Eagles are definitely a good team. There's a lot of comparison to the 2020 Steelers who were 11-0 then folded. The whole league is relatively bad this year. It's not the fault of the Eagles, but no one win really looks very good. And any win that isn't Miami, Kansas City, Buffalo, Dallas, Minnesota because they're performing far better than others. Well, what's the comparisons to the 2020 Steelers? Are you suggesting that the Eagles could get to 11-0 and and then fold and run out of gas? Like, is this team not – is this 8-0 and a mirage? That's what it sounds like that text is saying. Because the 8-0 for the Steelers evidently turned into be a mirage. They weren't as good as their 11-0 record suggested that they were. Right. But also you go back to 
those Steelers team, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger was getting older at that point. You know, they had some injuries on that team. So, you know, what is it about this team that would make you think that they would fade down the stretch? Is there, Mike, a sign to you? Is there something that you've seen from this team that would say, I think that's a fair question. That's a fair question to ask. Okay, they're 8-0 and you're not impressed. They haven't played anybody. What is it about this team that you're not buying into? Is it the quarterback? Are we are we still stuck on that point? 609-403-0973. Message us through the free mobile app and let us know. Is there something about this team at 8-0? Okay, maybe they haven't beaten anybody in your opinion. But what is it about this team halfway through the season that you still need to learn, that you still need to find out about? Mike, the 49ers are 4-4. Four and four. They're finally getting to full strength health-wise. They run the ball great and play great defense, two things that travel well in the playoffs. Eagles can't stop the run so far and lack playoff experience, too. There's a lot more than an 8-0 record to look at when judging. uh, Is that supposed to say competition? I'm assuming it says competition. I agree with what he's saying. The 49ers are 4-4, but if the Eagles would have beaten the 49ers this year, I don't think people would have been all that impressed. And you're saying, well, they're not full strength health-wise, which is... Fair and the 49ers run the ball great, they play great defense. Um, yeah, man, I've been a 49ers fan too. I like the 49ers. I gotta say, now look, I don't want to play the 49ers in the playoff. That that would not be a team that I think I would be, you know, feel comfortable with. But I don't look at the 49ers and say that's a team that I'm just overly impressed by. Uh, I think that they. The Garoppolo thing, as much as I said, I didn't have the 49ers in the playoffs with Trey Lance. Right. As soon as Garoppolo became the quarterback, I put them back into the playoffs. So I like San Francisco. But I think when push comes to shove, Garoppolo might be the difference in that type of game. I mean, I will just slightly disagree. I think it's something about all of it's McCaffrey. I think Garoppolo turned them into a postseason team. I think McCaffrey is turning them into a Super Bowl contender because he fits exactly what Shanahan likes to do with that offense. Yeah, no, he adds another dimension to them in the run game, too. There's no doubt about it. Um, But I would agree with that guy. The 49ers are one team that I think eight weeks from now we may change and say, okay, if you beat that team, then I'll give you some credit. But you you can't tell me if you beat San Francisco through these first eight weeks. Right. They've been banged up. So beating San Francisco really wouldn't put a lot of merit to, let's say Philadelphia had beaten San Francisco three weeks ago. You you would say, well, they weren't full strength. They're not all that impressive. Now, like I said, eight weeks from now, we might have a lot of different takes. Right. But for the first eight weeks, who could you beat? That would mean anything. It's not too many teams. We'll continue to look at it. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Sports Bash is live every Monday at the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort. For the football season, cheers your favorite drinks while cheering on your favorite teams. Go to the Gallery and Ocean Casino Resort. Go for the win. For more information, visit theoceanac.com. Must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I like the text messages coming in. 609-403-0973. 
609-403-0973. You can also call that number and leave a message. 609-403-0973. If you want to get your voice heard, you can listen on the app and message us through the app on your phone. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. Listen, just because the Eagles are 8-0 doesn't necessarily make them the best team in the league. I have no problem saying that. But this whole narrative of they haven't played anybody, I think that's a weak one. Nobody's playing anybody. Nobody is playing anybody. Buffalo, their best win isn't all that impressive. Kansas City's best win, uh, they went on the road and beat San Francisco. Okay, are we impressed by that? They've been beat up, banged up. What other team has a win that stands out as that was an impressive one? And I'm all ears. Maybe I missed it this year. Maybe there was a game that I just totally forgot about. Oh, that team beat that team, and I'm impressed by that. I just don't think it exists. 609-403-0973 or Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now on 97.3 ESPN. All right, 231. A lot of text messages, and I appreciate the feedback. 609 609- 4030973. If you're listening on the mobile app, you can message us through the message us function on the app on your phone. Uh, this one is from B Brooks 02 and App Seekin listening on the app. It says, Mike, the Eagles are head and shoulders above the rest of the NFC. 49ers are always hurt. Giants cannot pass the football. Dallas and Mini struggle at the link in January. Uh, the Niners always hurt thing is something. I mean, at some point, when are they going to get healthy? I think that's fair. But I like that Niners team. I think the Niners are maybe the next best team. Minnesota, Dallas. I like Minnesota's offensive line better than I have in the past. So I give them a little bit more credibility than I would in past years. I think Dallas's defense is really good. Um, so I give Dallas credence. Okay, you beat them when they had Cooper Rush. Um, their defense still gave up 26 points in that game. That's a lot of points. I mean, if you're a really good team, giving up 26 points is not a great day at the office. I mean, it's an average day, I guess. So I don't think Dallas's defense really showed itself in the Eagle game. Can they be better? Okay, yeah, absolutely. I think they can. But when they played head-to-head, 26 points is not a good day. That's not a great day. So, yes, Cooper Rush played. I think that's a factor. But their defense was not very good on the day that they played against each other. A lot of texts here. Cole from LBI. Mike, anyone questioning Philly as a top NFL team has serious issues? I think I can say my Jets are a good team. Eagles, Chiefs, Bills, Niners. Those are my top four teams. Niners defense got beat up. Otherwise, they would have a better record. And CMC is a big addition. Other mentions are Dolphins, Jets, Vikings, Cowboys, Titans, and Ravens. Maybe Seattle. So he's saying Eagles, Chiefs, Bills, and Niners are really... Uh, the four best teams, and I think that's probably fair. I mean, the Niners, to me, I like. Their record wouldn't put them in there, but that doesn't matter to me. I don't care what your record is. The Niners are better than a 4-4 four and four team. You're not going to want to play that team in the playoffs. They're healthy. No, and part of, the, part of the argument that we're having about, oh, who have they played, is that some of this conversation is being built on eye tests, as you mentioned with the 49ers, versus record tests. And it's like, well, what's what? How do we measure who has a good schedule or not? Is it the you know strength of schedule? Is it opponent winning percentage? Is it just you know straight up like going 
game by game and breaking it down. And if, I'm sure if we put a group of 10 people in a room randomly ask that question, you'll probably get divided three ways in that group. Yeah, I mean, right now the AFC playoff teams are Buffalo, Kansas City, Baltimore, Tennessee, the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Chargers. If I said you played all seven of those teams, at the end of the day, you would say, hey, man, that's an, I mean, and I throw New England in there. That's the top eight teams in the AFC. Right. If I said you beat those eight teams, okay, you beat Buffalo and Kansas City. But I think if you beat Baltimore, Tennessee, the Jets, Miami, and the Chargers and New England, you might say, well, you didn't really beat anybody. And the problem with that theory is, is that what you're doing is you're dismissing what those teams bring to the table. For example, Tennessee, with a backup quarterback who looks ill-prepared for the NFL right now, almost beat the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. So are the Titans, you know, just a bunch of bums because they couldn't beat the Chiefs? No. Or are, are we overvaluing the Chiefs? Oh, that's another question. Are we overvaluing Everybody's the saying that the Chiefs... They believe in the Chiefs. Everybody seems to believe in the Chiefs. Right. But are we overvaluing the Chiefs? Certainly possible. And then, and then the flip side, you know, we're talking about the Bills losing a game to the Jets. Well, are, is it is that more about the Bills or the Jets, that that game? You know what I mean? Like, is did the Bills lose the game or did the Jets win the game? Um, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, we're seeing today that Josh Allen may not play this week. You know, he apparently had some arm issues in that game. But I think the Jets are solid. They're moving in the right direction. There's no question about it. I think their quarterback is holding them back. Other than that, defensively, I think they're really good in the secondary. Quinton Williams is outstanding. Um, offensively, I think they're going to have some problems. But their defense is probably playoff worthy. I think their defense is very good. I think the offense is where the questions are. And I think anybody who doesn't have questions, because not just the quarterback to me, Mike, is the fact that the offensive line is banged up. All right? You know, you want to run the ball, but if your offensive line is not executing down the down very well, it's hard for James Robinson and uh, Michael Carter to get a lot of yards. So, you know, their offense has some issues. Guys, I think this is one of those years where parity makes it impossible to have those big moment wins, but rather depends on the entire body of work over the season. Yeah, I think that kind of hits the nail on the head. There are really no impressive wins because there's nobody impressive to play. Right. Which is a whole other conversation for, well, do we just discount everybody's schedule? Um, Mike, it's not just Giants and Dallas fans. Plenty of Birds fans are skeptical as well. For the record, I believe the Birds are the best complete team in the NFL today. Lastly, Eagles aren't a home team. They're a local team. New Jersey doesn't have one. Well, the Delaware Valley, you know, just because the, the stadium is in Philadelphia, are, I think it's fair to say. It's a regional it is, thing. Yeah, it's a local team. I mean, look, you go to it's numerous. still local. Yeah, you still go to numerous markets just because you don't live in Kansas City or live in Green Bay doesn't mean the yeah. people in the community look at the the, the, uh, the sport team any less. Right. For the most part, then nobody has a home team because right. most of these professional teams are no longer in the city limits. They are someplace outside of the city limits. I mean, as the most literal person in the studio right yeah. now, I would say that that person is being too literal, Mike. Uh, that is a very literal point. New Jersey doesn't have one. Yes, we do. We have the Giants and, and the, the Jets. Jets. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have the Giants and the Jets. We have two teams. 
Oh my uh, gosh. Kevin says, screw all the idiots that are saying the Eagles aren't the best team in the NFL. We're 8-0. Feels like maybe Sirianni is Andy Reid 2.0. By the way, we're the only team left with a left-facing logo. We're just different and better than all the rest. <laughs> this is true. Kevin, you woke up on an interesting <laughs> side of the bed today. Uh, look, I, I am always one that says your record doesn't make you the best team. Just Correct. because you're 8-0, that doesn't automatically, to me, make you the best. So I'm, I'm not taking 8-0 as yeah. the reason why I think the Eagles are the best. I'm saying over eight games, I've been more impressed with them over an eight-game stretch than I have with anybody else. Right. Like, Mike, isn't part of the conversation that it's less about the Eagles, you know, how it, are they the best team? Isn't the conversation, or at least it should be, more about how, you know how amazing it is to go 8-0 and in the NFL? Like, that should be the conversation, right? Well, we've seen teams do it, and they haven't won. Arizona 7-0 and last year, Pittsburgh 11-0, and or whatever it was. They didn't win. We do see teams run out to these impressive records. Right. And then, where do they go? What happens to them? I don't think the Eagles are on the same plane as Arizona was or Pittsburgh. I think they're deeper than those two things. teams. I definitely think so. And, I, and again... Injuries do come into this conversation a little bit because one of the things that gets overlooked when we have these conversations is the fact that, hey, guess what? It doesn't matter if you go undefeated or what. What matters is, what do you do with that information? Hey, listen, I don't care if you go 10-7 and in the regular season. Did you win the Super Bowl at the end of the year? That's all that really ends up mattering. Right. You could have been up and down, mediocre, and all around, not play anybody. But at the end of the day... If you win the game that matters the most, that's all we care about. And right now, the Eagles have won all the games that have mattered, the ones on their schedule. And guess what? They've done it quite impressively. You know, they could play the Vikings and be like, oh, we had to really get a bad call to win that game, or we needed help to win that game. No, they dominated the Vikings. We could look at the game against the Cowboys and say they didn't have Cooper, uh, they didn't have Dak Prescott. They played with Cooper Rush. First off, there were some Cowboy knuckleheads out there that wanted Cooper Rush to remain the quarterback. They reversed courts on that pretty quickly. Yeah, but that I don't care about Rush. He stunk that day. Yep. But their defense didn't get the job done. 26 points in a game where you have your backup quarterback. This elite defense that I hear a lot about, and I like, by the way, Needs to do a better job. They didn't do the job that day. When you have a backup quarterback, your defense has to play better. Their defense didn't play well enough in that game. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I got a lot of texts I'm going to get to throughout the course of the day. Keep them coming. 609-403-0973. When we come back, Frank's final Phillies mailbag. It's a sad day. The final Phillies mailbag looks at the offseason. We'll get into that. Johnny Mack, Adam Kaplan, football at four. A lot of you guys today. Wide open on the text board, 609-403-0973. I say wide open. I have a ton of text messages backed up, but I'll get to them. And we're qualifying more listeners today for this year's 99 Bottles. It's the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 246, we'll get into the Phillies mailbag, the final Phillies mailbag of the season before the offseason officially gets here. Well, it is officially here. The Phillies are already making moves 
this offseason. We're going to dive into him. Frank Close, 97.3 ESPN.com. Phillies Insider joins us as uh, we take a look at the last Phillies mailbag of the regular, or excuse me, of the entire 2022 season. Let's bring Frank in to the conversation now here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. And welcome back, Frank. What's going on, man? Not much, Mike. Sad day, right? We're wrapping up the season. This is it. Yeah. This and is no a, Eagles on Sunday, so it's it's been quiet. Yes, this is a uh, an interesting time. Let's uh, look at a couple of key questions, though. I know you got a lot of questions over at 973ESPN.com. I want to definitely get, though, your pick your brain on the Wheeler decision on Saturday night. Charles wants to know, but so does everybody else. Frank Close, what did you think of the decision to not leave Wheeler in the game? I personally would not have taken him out. You know, the the honestly, the ball that skirted up the middle that was that second hit to put runners at first and third would have been a double play had the defense been positioned a little bit differently. I, I didn't think he had lost anything. He still had his velocity, but I understand it. You know, he was a big question mark going into the game, so much so that Rob Thompson had to tell the press ahead of time that, well, if he doesn't have it, we might go to Ranger Suarez that day. So in the back of his mind, I'm sure he was worried that Zach Wheeler would fall off a cliff at any moment. And in that situation, you know, they have, they have been getting Jordan Alvarez out the entire World Series by playing those matchups. And Alvarado is your go-to lefty. Unfortunately, the outcome was what you're trying to avoid, which is the, the three-run homer. But all that said, I honestly don't think it matters much. The bats were not... Coming to play that day, and I, I didn't think the Phillies would be able to eke that out one nothing. So the Phillies would have had to score more runs anyway. I think in the end that is why the team lost those last three games. Just those three runs, two Kyle Schwarber solo home runs, and a Gene Segura RBI aren't going to get it done. Yeah, I mean if you look at uh, the batting average, I think it was historically bad. I think they had like oh ninety two or oh ninety eight or something like that. They just did not hit. So I don't know if that decision lost him the game we always love to say if i do what i th- would have done it would have worked we don't know that wheeler would have got out of that inning he got himself into some trouble in the inning it doesn't necessarily mean he would have gotten out of trouble but that being said um did you feel like rob thompson just got too into a routine and wasn't willing to make some adjustments a routine, maybe, but that strategy is what got them where they were. Uh, you know, in the shorter series with more opportunities to use your top relievers more often, that's what he did. That's how they got to where they were, and I guess he stuck with it. So, again, me personally, I would have I would have liked to see Zach Wheeler go a little bit deeper in that game. I didn't think he threw enough pitches, and I would have just put confidence in what had happened earlier in that game, not so much that worry that he might fall off a cliff so to speak because of his fatigue yeah i know i would have left him in too but it doesn't mean i'm right it doesn't mean that he would have got out of that inning that <laughs> said now would you have shaken the lineup up would you have tried to do something different the only thing i would have done was put bryce harper third and reese hoskins four or excuse me uh, jt Romuto fourth so that you had on either side of of Harper, you'd have Hoskins and Real Muto. And the Astros had no lefty in the pen. So aside from the game in which Framber Valdez started, you didn't have any lefties to worry about. So uh, so the the threat of a lefty coming in to, to get Schwarber and Harper in the same inning is non-existent. So I, that's what I would have done. 
I don't know if it would have mattered a whole lot because everybody around Harper was not getting on base either. Uh, a couple more. Uh, Matt wants to know, and everybody's talking, Trey Turner, that's the name we keep hearing, but Correa, Bogart, Swanson, do you have a preference? Who fits best, and is it a reality that one of those guys will be here? My pick is Trey Turner. I think he is the best fit out of all those names that you just mentioned. And for a lot of reasons. I mean, he's kind of a five-tool player. He's a perfect blend of speed and power and defense and, and OPS. And I, he would be perfect batting second in that lineup. You know, he would be much better than Reese Hoskins, something you and I have talked about frequently. We don't like Reese Hoskins batting second. He would be perfect in that number two spot. Schwarber getting on with a walk. Boom, double, there's another. There's a run. So, I, And then, of course, having someone like Harper behind him, I think they could totally wreak havoc. And speaking of Schwarber and, and Harper, he's friends with them. They played together. His old hitting coach, Kevin Long, is on the Phillies uh, coaching staff. I, I think it's a very, very good fit. And is it possible the Phillies are going to have the money because they spent $30 million up the middle this past year on Gene Segura and Didi Gregorius both those now officially off the books. Bryson Stott can play second base. In fact, trending on Twitter last night was Stott to second base. So clearly fans are thinking of that shortstop class. I think Trey Turner's the best fit. There's some rumors the Mets might be in on him. Uh, the Dodgers might want to keep him around. But uh, if it, a team that just was in the World Series and has some of your best friends and your hitting coach that you thrived under probably is going to be an attractive spot for Trey Turner. Do the Phillies want him? If they pick him as as their guy, I think they've got a real shot of getting him. Uh, I tweeted the other day that my first order of business is Reese Hoskins, meaning, is he a part of our future? Do we keep him around, or do we have to use him to try to change the dynamic of this lineup? I'm not necessarily saying that he's the worst player in the world. I don't think that that's the case. 30 home runs is hard to find. But do you need a different type of player in this lineup? And Hoskins' contract is one movable one out of everybody here. So do you think Hoskins is a priority of what to do with him this offseason? Well, if you get a Trey Turner or something to bat second, that kind of solves that piece that didn't really fit in that part of the lineup. And Hoskins batting sixth or seventh is not the worst thing in the world if you have that lineup set up. But for me, it's a lot about the defense as well. If you look around the diamond, uh, even if Bryce Harper gets gets the surgery or doesn't get the surgery, when he's on the roster next year, he's probably going to be your designated hitter. So that means, once again, you have four positions with subpar defense. Uh, Alec Bohm's improved a lot. I think, I think you give him the benefit of the doubt and give him another year at third base. Uh, left field, Schwarber, okay. Castellanos made some running grabs, but let's face it, someone with more range would have gotten to those no problem. Uh, and then you have Hoskins at first. So because the fact is he's got one year left of team control, he's probably the most movable piece of those. You're not going to trade Bohm, who's not making a lot of money yet and is providing you value. And, and like him or not, Castellanos has four more years and $80 million coming off a bad year. He's not going to be tradable. And Schwarber is not tradable either. So to me, improving one position would go a long way. If I had the DH open for Reese Hoskins every day, I might consider just throwing him there and then that being okay. But the Phillies don't have that luxury, whether uh, whether Hoskins, excuse me, Harper gets the, the surgery or not. So I would rather see the Phillies see what's out there. And then this is the key. You got to get a value back for him. He does have value, as you just said. He's going to hit you 30 home runs. 
I feel like there's some teams out there that would like his right-handed bat that has some power. And the there's a lot is, of smaller market teams, Frank, that don't want to pay for the power that he would bring and could afford his power. Yeah, he's going to make somewhere between like twelve and fifteen million dollars in this final year of arbitration. So. A team might be able to deal with that, and he could provide some real value to to a lineup somewhere. All right, Frank Close, 97.3 ESPN.com. Phillies offseason, a very big one. We'll be all over it, and Frank will be out on throughout the offseason. When the Phillies make moves, you'll hear from Frank right here on the Sports Bash. Follow him at Frank Close on Twitter. Phillies offseason is here. Gene Segura, by the way, not back. Eflin uh, opted out, so we'll see how they start to work on the bullpen and more. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Mike. All right. And right now, I need caller six and caller seven at 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Caller six and seven. You guys are in for 99 bottles, which essentially means you've already won a pair of tickets. Which tickets will you win? Well, we'll see you on November 23rd at Maynard's and Margate to find out. We got all sorts of tickets. Club box, Eagles seats, Sixers tickets, Flyers tickets, overnight stays, concert tickets, and the list keeps on growing. Caller 6 and 7, we'll see you there at this year's 99 Bottles Party at Maynard's in Margate on November 23rd. 609-573- 3776. Bring your friends. Let's have the biggest party of the year. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Uh, Just after three, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Brought to you by Springfield Mitsubishi, where it's a crime to pay more than a dime. Just one dime down at Springfield Mitsubishi of Atlantic City. Every vehicle, only one dime down. Online, SpringfieldMitsubishi.com. Eagles Commanders. Eagles at the halfway point. You know, we got a ton of text messages here. In fact, I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to filter through all of these. But I'll do my best. I'll try to pick some out for John as well. 609-403-0973. Eagles at the midway point, John. We've talked a lot about, you know, how good is this Eagles team? They're 8-0. Some people think they're the best team in the league. Others aren't all that impressed. And I guess if the whole, hey, they haven't beaten anybody, if that holds any weight for you, uh, is that something that you're concerned by? That, hey, I'm not sure what the ceiling of this team because they haven't been challenged enough yet. Uh, Is that one thing about this team you are worried by? No, not really. I mean... Uh, it, it's this team's a, a a a very good team. They're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. So, you know, uh, once you get to that point, it, it's about staying healthy. That can ruin anybody's season. Uh, wrong injuries at the wrong time, uh, and then obviously, uh, when you get to the playoffs, it's about playing well, obviously, on a particular game day. We've seen so many upsets in recent seasons, Green Bay, San Francisco with a special teams play, um, Dallas and their issues in the playoffs, on and on and on. Uh, so it, it's no guarantee, but the Eagles are the best team in football through their first eight games, and 
Uh, they can beat you in a, a, a multitude of ways. And the, the whole they haven't played anybody thing just is is silly. Uh, I mean, forget about the fact that they've beaten the second seed in the NFC and the third seed and w- what would be the third-best team. Obviously, they're second place, so they wouldn't be the third seed, but the Cowboys. Um, they've beaten the other two good teams in the NFC. So, you know, these these definitions keep changing. You know, it's election day, so sort of like those complainers in politics. They're always moving the goalposts. Oh, you beat Minnesota but this, and now San Francisco. Uh, well, you know, if they had beaten San Francisco earlier in the season when they weren't playing well, they would have said that was nothing. So you can't. You, you, you can't do anything about these imaginary goalposts, so you just beat who's in front of you. And Eagles are the only team that does that. Well, Everybody and part of part Buffalo. of what is the being the best team right now is that they haven't stubbed their toe against an inferior opponent like Buffalo did, like Kansas City has. Exactly. Like they have losses on their schedule against teams they probably shouldn't lose. Now Kansas City lost to Buffalo, uh, so you know, okay. But you make a good point in that to me. You look at, if I was to ask people, who could the Eagles have beaten that you'd be impressed by? Really, if you say Buffalo and Kansas City, they're the only two teams. If I say, okay, what about Baltimore or the 49ers or the Rams or the Buccaneers? or And everybody's like, well, that team's not any good. So the point is, there's really not a lot. So my question would be, if the schedule doesn't concern you, if you're not one of those people that says, well, you know what, Philadelphia really hasn't played anybody is there something, you know, we've seen these teams, 7-0 and Arizona, 11-0 and Pittsburgh. Is there something that does worry you, though, halfway through the season that they need to tighten up and improve on to make sure they don't become Pittsburgh and Arizona? Yeah, I, I mean, with, with Pittsburgh, um, the, you bring up recently, it was probably more injuries than anything else. Uh, and I mentioned that with Arizona. Yeah, they're an example of a team that got off to a great start and probably weren't really as good as their their record looked and did come back to the pack. So, you know, for people who are worried about type of thing, I guess they could point to that. But, you know, then I just look at the team and I look at the, the games and the way the Eagles have played and how the Eagles have played. You know they're they're the deepest team in football. Uh, they can beat you the most ways. You know people talk about Buffalo and Kansas City. They're talking about quarterbacks, really. I mean that's all they're talking about. And everybody boils it. If you go two through fifty-two, Eagles versus Bills, you're going to take the Eagles. If you go two through fifty-two, Eagles versus Chiefs, you're going to take the the Eagles roster. So, yeah, I I don't think this team, as long as they stay healthy, and that's the caveat to everyone, I I don't think they're going to fall apart uh, down the stretch of the season. Um, John, we saw them play one game without Jordan Davis. Did we learn anything? Was it a big deal? What do you take away from that one night? I mean, uh, it seems like it was a year ago that they played the Texans, by the way. But uh, what, what do we take away from the game without Jordan Davis? And then, like, you know, moving forward here on what they might need to do in his absence. Yeah, that's one, you know, you got to sort of wait out. And it's uh, hopefully it's only a four-game injury. Uh, it could be a little bit more than that. 
Uh, but he'll be back. That's the good news and the fact that it's not a seizing and an ending injury. And Nick Sirianni was honest about it on Friday after the Texans game. He said, hey, you're not going to be as good uh, as a in-run support as you typically would be with Jordan Davis. And you got to sort of cobble it together with uh, Hargrave and Marvin Wilson and Marlon Tui Peloto and uh, it's going to be more difficult. But the one thing I look at, and they gave up, uh, I think it was 139 against Damian Pierce. 102 of that was after contact. So at least that tells you if they can clean up the tackling a little bit, uh, that's the bigger issue to me. Because that's the one thing. If you look about Besides special teams, if you look about offense and defense, and they've been top five in both for pretty much the entire year, the one thing that they don't do well is tackle well. And that gives you an example of, all right, 139, 102 was after contact. So if you just tighten up, and I would say this after week one as well with Detroit, when they missed 15 tackles, they missed 14 against the Texans. If that turns into seven, you know, which ain't, which isn't great, by the way, that's average at best. Uh, you know, that 139 is probably 80, 85, and you can live with. And that's what Jonathan Gannon kind of said today. It's, you know, they were able to at least, you know, address it and, and correct it a little bit in between Detroit's and, 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 Houston, and they had some better games than, um, you know, and some worse games in that grouping, but they they were okay. And they're never going to be a great tackling team because they don't have great tacklers in the back seven. Uh, but there's a give and take to that. They have playmakers. They have guys who make plays, and Bradbury's not a good tackler, and Slay's not a good tacker, tackler, and uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson is not good at tackling, but what do you want? Do you want you want the big box safety who's going to be short tackling and giving up forty yard pass plays down the field, or you want the team that's plus fifteen, or whatever the heck they are in turnover <laughs> ratio? Um, it's a give and take, and the Eagles have made the right decision on what to take. Yeah, I mean, we see uh, a, a lot of times where those corners are not very good at tackling. So when a when a running back gets through that initial line of scrimmage, it goes from a five yard to sometimes a twenty five yard gain because uh, of those guys. But you're right in the secondary. Would you trade off those guys getting picked on get week in and week out, or that you might give up a couple big runs now? Um, they do have a stretch of some, some guys coming up here. That That's where we might find out about this team. And then other teams, John, might start to look. You know, when you play, um, well, Washington doesn't have that guy. Indianapolis, if Taylor's back, uh, the Packers, you know, Jones and Dylan are okay. But you, you obviously you got Tennessee down the road, Saquon Barkley down the road, uh, Fields, he's tough to figure out now, that Bears offense, and then Dallas. You know, and push comes to shove. Uh, are they going to, at some point, going to have to figure this out, or is this just who they are? No, I think it's who they are. I mean, the one game that would concern me is Tennessee for a couple reasons. One is uh, they're a good team. Uh, they're good defensively. Uh, obviously, we know Derrick Henry, if he's if he's ready to go and healthy 
and he's been great this year. Um, you know, he's tough to stop for good run support teams, and he's going to be really tough for for the Eagles. Hopefully, Jordan Davis will be back by then, but even that would be iffy. Um, and you, you saw them against Kansas City. I mean, they should have won that game. They're playing a backup quarterback who they don't even trust to throw the football, and they almost beat Kansas City at Kansas City. So they're probably a little bit better than their record would indicate. And, and you know, Dallas made fights. Uh, and, and, and the Eagles are not equipped to stop Derrick Henry. They're just not. But uh, on you know when you play the way the Titans play, you, you only have one pass, so the the margin <laughs> of error is small. That's that's what makes the Eagles so good. They can beat you in a whole host of ways. So the Titans can beat the Eagles if they get the lead, if they control the football. If they run it uh, uh, um, and keep it away from Philadelphia, but if they get behind, well, they're in trouble. Yeah. So you you can you can paint these paths if you want to, you know, be negative and and, and be scared and, and and not embrace how good this team is. But you know, they have the multiple paths to beating Tennessee. Tennessee's got one path to beat the Eagles. John McMullen, Birds 365, weekday morning to date on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. One of the conversations that we've had when I've been on your show with Jody, you know, is, and, and I think you might have asked John Gannon about this last week. You know, somebody asked about N'Kobe Dean today. Why isn't he getting in? Are you thinking about any packages? And he said, yeah, we've talked about it and all our guys. They aren't doing that, though. Are they that worried if somebody goes down in that secondary or what that next guy would do about the depth in that secondary? Like, to me, that could be the whole key. We talk about 8-0 and a big injury, but it seems that that secondary is the one spot where even if they have a big lead, they're not really, really willing and ready to look at anybody else play back there. Yeah, I'm, well, they've seen it. You know, they've seen that the – it was 16 plays uh, against Pittsburgh uh, where Chauncey had to leave and Kayvon Wallace was in there, and it was not good. Um, and then it was uh, – you've seen Zach McPherson both as a rookie and a little bit this year, more more as a rookie when uh, Darius Slay went down with uh, a couple head injuries. Um and was able to come back the next week, but he missed significant time during during the games. And you know, Zach didn't look ready. So yeah, I mean, they they don't have great depth in the secondary. Uh, that's fair to say. And that's what I was talking about. Injuries can derail anyone. Um, and and they got to stay healthy there. But you know, the, every other team has depth issues as well at various places and. Uh, that's probably the weakest uh, depth uh, part of the Eagles team. They have tremendous depth on the offensive line, the defensive line. Um, you know, we just talk. Everybody loves Nicobe Dean. They want him on the field. Uh, I have no idea why, because TJ and Kaiser are playing so well. But um, <laughs> we always like the shiny and, new know. toy, John. You know that. Yeah, uh, it, it, that that one is. It, it's, it, by the way. 
if one of those guys got hurt, and nothing against Nicobe Dean, but Jim Schwartz, you know, used to call him startup costs with rookies. People would see pretty quickly why he's not on the field. Um, you know, you just have to go through that. So, you know, maybe Zach McPherson. I, I, I would, if you look at, at, at blowout games, and there's not a ton of them in the NFL, and that's what we were talking about, the Pittsburgh game, when I asked Gannon. You know, the offense, Gardner Minshew was in there. Pretty much the the whole offensive line was taken out, except for Landon Dickerson. Um, the defense kept everybody in, in the back seven. And I, I think they should have gotten Kayvon Wallace and, and Zach McPherson some reps, because uh, more reps would only help those guys. Um, but <laughs> do they have the upside? At least with Nicobe, you can say, "Okay, there's an upside." I, I don't, I don't know if there's that that upside with those two particular players. I want to get your thoughts on uh, something that was said. I it might have been on the morning. Uh, Keyshawn or or Orlovsky or one of those guys may have said. I don't know if this is a. Sh- is it a shot it hurts or is it a positive for this Eagles team? He, they essentially said you could throw any number of quarterbacks in this offense and they'd be MVP candidates. You know, in other words, like is Hurts really an MVP candidate or is it a byproduct? I don't know if that's a shot at anybody. I think it's right. It's this offense is that good, but you could throw and but I don't know, like if you put Gardner Minshew in this offense, it's gonna look the same. But I think there are other quarterbacks that could come here and probably have career years. But that's saying how good this Eagles offense is. Well, I mean, yes and no. And that's the difference between and why everyone loves the Bills and the Chiefs um, is you can put pretty much Patrick Mahomes in any offense and he's going to succeed. Maybe not to the level uh, with Andy and the Chiefs, but he's going to he's going to succeed. He's going to play well. Uh, Same thing with Josh Allen. Um, he's going to play well. And, and you know, if Jalen Hurts was in a different offense, maybe he doesn't play. Not maybe, he definitely doesn't play as well. But, no, I disagree completely with you can put anybody in this offense because this offense is so Jalen Hurts-eccentric, and that's the most impressive part of this coaching staff. They've built this offense around Jalen Hurts. Now, I think they're smart enough if they had – a different quarterback that they would build the offense a different way. And so I've already seen it with Nick in Indianapolis, but um, it, it, they're smart enough. I, I think it's absurd to say you can pluck any quarterback and put them in this offense because it's it's so Jalen Hurts centric. Uh, and I've I've said it for a while now. This is not everybody says is a run first offense is it a pass for it's a jalen hurts first offense they build the whole thing around his skill set so i i think it's kind of absurd and i'm surprised that dan said that yeah, can we find that bite josh do you have that bite the orlovsky bite was that orlovsky who said that yesterday yeah we're looking for that bite so you can hear it yeah i i, I don't agree with that at all if there's a pocket passer for instance you know, pick any pocket passer you want. They're not gonna. They're not gonna run this offense like Jalen Hurts runs this offense. Now again, Nick would change it, so it's kind of moot. But it would be a completely, completely different offense. 
Right, like one of the reasons why this he see uh, there is a I mean AJ Brown's really good, Goddard's really good, Smith really good, yeah. uh, but to and me, I think the, that's what they're saying. Yes, I think what they're saying is that the playmakers are are so good that, and, and maybe that's right because I do believe that Nick would build the the offense around the quarterback that he has, um, but not this particular offense. And and to say anybody can play at an MVP level is, and that's where he is in the betting markets. Look, it's eight games. Yeah. So he's got to finish. But bottom line is he's either not number one or number two in the betting markets everywhere. You can't just say any quarterback can play at an MVP level. Here's it the, just doesn't work that way. Here's the bite for you so you can listen to the context yourself. I said this in the offseason. I think Philadelphia is the easiest place in the NFL to play quarterback. That is not taking a shot at Jalen. He's doing exactly what he should be doing he, if he's a good player. You've been the same thing. They built it perfectly for him. Uh, they, like, yeah, but they uh, built it perfectly for Josh Allen. They built it perfectly yeah, for yeah. Patrick Mahomes. That's took, what you have if, to do. If you took Justin and put him in Philadelphia, you feel like you're you're 7-0 and or 8-0 and with Philadelphia Justin, right now? Fields. Absolutely, I do. All right, that's the bite there. There you go. Oh, that's absurd. Who said they're seven? <laughs> Justin Fields. Uh, Keisha. That's Keyshawn I mean, Johnson I, yeah, for you. I, I don't. I, I. I. I don't know what to say of that. I mean, well, I mean, that essentially is, to me is just typecasting the quarterback and saying, well, because he can run and move, that yeah, that's the exactly. style of quarterback taking. Exactly. That to me is taking away what Hertz has done so well, and that's. He's been accurate. He's made great decisions. He has caused pressure on all three levels of the defense with his decision-making. I don't know that Justin Fields is doing that. I don't know if anybody. I mean, is Lamar Jackson doing that? Maybe. Is Josh Allen doing that? Probably. I, I don't, but to me, the the offense is predicated on his strengths as what he does really well. Yeah, and, and the most impressive part for me with Jalen and his improvement, I'm the first to say I didn't think it was coming i i shocked me um is is the mental part of it he gets the eagles in and out of of, of you know good plays versus bad plays uh he's reading defenses correctly he's reading quarters coverage correctly he's getting you know you go back to the first washington game at the end of the half when, at, at the end of the half when Devontae smith made the great catch at the end zone that play wasn't even in the game plan uh, because it was a hurry-up situation, the Eagles had to go, 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 and he just he just called to play himself on the field. I mean, that's Peyton Manning stuff. That's that's that kind of level stuff. So to to say a young quarterback because he's athletic and he can run, and by the way, Justin Fields is more athletic than Jalen Hurts, and he's a better runner than Jalen Hurts. Um. Just to assume that he could do the same thing uh, from a football IQ standpoint, yeah, that's incredibly uh, off base, uh, and, and it wouldn't even be near the same offense. Now, there are other guys, as I said, um, Patrick Mahomes is a superstar. He's going to be good anywhere, but the Eagles' offense isn't going to be the same. They're going to have a different offense, so... Yeah, I don't agree with any of that. All right, John McMullen, weekday mornings, 8 a.m. on uh, the Birds 365, Jacob Media YouTube channel. You can check that show out, of course. We'll get you a little closer to the Commanders 
here in Philadelphia uh, throughout the week here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, John, good conversation, bud. All right, thanks, Mike. There he goes, uh, Johnny Mack here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We got two more qualifiers who are coming to 99 Bottles. And they are Ethan in Dennisville, Bob and EHT. You guys are winners. Yes, you're getting a pair of tickets. Which pair of tickets? 99 bottles. November 23rd, Maynards and Margate. Those two qualifiers will be there. Your chance to qualify this hour is coming up. We'll take two more qualifiers in the 3, 4, 5, and 6 o'clock hours tonight during game night. You get one more opportunity, two more here on this, actually three more here on the Sports Best. So, 99 bottles, 99 winners, 99 pairs of tickets. And, yes, everybody wins a pair of tickets. What level of tickets are you getting? Well, you need to show up to find out. Bring a friend, pack the place, have a party Wednesday, November 23rd. Maynard's in Margate. Yes, indeed, Sports Bash. All right, I see the text board. It is lit up right now. All right, I will do my best to hit on every text message between now and the end of the uh, hour. That's going to be a tough chore, but I will do my best to try to get through as many as I can between now and football at four. Keep them coming. 609 403-0973. 403-0973. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. Now on 97.3 ESPN. It's 3.30. Sports Bash live. 97.3 ESPN. There is no significance of it being 3.30 on a Tuesday. But Joel and B did say last night that now that the Philly season is over, now we're going to play for real. Now the season starts for the Sixers. It's kind of an interesting comment, but he did play his best last night, and the Sixers probably played their best game. They beat a good Suns team last night. I'm not all that concerned about the Sixers yet, but if you watched the game last night, you were probably treated to the best Sixers game of the season. Yeah, to me, last night was not as much about the specific final score. It was about the fact that for the first time, at least my eyeballs saw this year, Mike, that Joel Embiid looked like Joel Embiid. Well, he hasn't played all that much this year. That's been but when one he has, major he's been problem. Pouty You're and right. Miserable, and the body language has been a hot topic on Twitter. Yeah, no, he is. That was definitely his best game of the season last night. And I think 100%. that's encouraging. Well, there, there, there's two things that I bring up, and I don't want to get down a huge Sixers rabbit hole right now because I got a ton of text messages that I promised people I would get through this <laughs> between now and the. They're playing without Harden, and then you got to bring Harden back in and get him reincorporated. And we right. go through this BS every single year where how does this guy fit in? How do they play differently with him? And they play differently without Harden. I thought there were times last night in the game where not having Harden was evident. They had big problems scoring at certain points where, you know, you need a guy to get a bucket and they couldn't get it when Embiid was off the floor and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was encouraging to see Embiid, I thought, play as well as he did last night. Yeah, and I thought it was also encouraging to see that the guys are starting to look like they they fit into the offense right now. Now, I don't know how much of that has to do with Harden not being out there and guys maybe rediscovering their roles. 
I did think that Paul Reed had an incredible second half last night defensively. I think Paul Reed really showed out last night, and maybe, hopefully, I pray to God that, you know, maybe Doc Rivers notices that a little bit and says, you know, that Paul Reed gave me a lot of good minutes against the Suns and really handled DeAndre Ayton. Maybe I need to give him more playing time moving forward. All right, let me get these text messages. 609-403-0973. Nick in Seville. How many third and ones and fourth and ones has Jalen Hurts converted this year because of his strength? That's not just O-line. That's a quarterback who can squat 600 pounds. Okay, yeah, that's a positive, yeah. Look, the Eagles have a weapon that not a lot of teams have. Hurts doing what he does. Josh Allen can do stuff like that. I think Mahomes is good at it. But it's definitely another wrinkle to their offense that not a lot of teams even call. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the, the problem with the Orlovsky comment in its, in its form, in its context, is the fact that we're not saying that Jalen Hurts, or I don't even think Orlovsky is saying that Jalen Hurts isn't deserving of the attention and the praise that he's gotten. I think the larger context is that you look around the NFL and you see the fact that the Packers and the Bucks and these other teams don't have good teams around their quarterbacks, and the Eagles do have a good team around their quarterback. Uh, 609 609-403. 0973 Mike, there has been some really bad football this year. Officiating has decided several games. Other than Carolina and Vegas, any team can be any other team week to week. Whoever squeezes into the playoffs has a chance to hoist the Lombardi. I long for the dynasties, 70s Steelers, Dolphins, 80s Niners, 90s Cowboys, 2000s Patriots, who you loved rooting against every week. That's from Tom and Violin. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said. Is the league better that we go through a 16-game or 17-game regular season without really being impressed from week to week? Or do you like it where there's this team where everybody's chasing them? I like the chase. I like having the dynasties in the chase. I think this NFL right now, why I love watching it and I love covering it and I love the week to week and I'm invested in the NFL. I think the league stinks, to be honest with you. I think the league is very unimpressive. I just think that we have a lot of just mediocre teams that you're right. Anyone can beat anybody. I think if right now, Seven teams got into the playoffs. Probably five of them of those seven could win. And that's good for the fans, but I think the product is... And look, the ratings are going to say otherwise. We're, we're all watching. But realistically, and this has some to do with the concussions and the rules and all of that has made this product not nearly as good as the product used to be. And I understand where you're coming from. You know, for me, you know, I'm watching a game like last night and, you know... It's a pendulum swing to which side of the position you if you want to take as you're saying, hey, the product is not as good as it should be or could be or used to be. Then you look at last night's game and you say, well, you know, look at the Saints, look at the Ravens, you know, but I turn around and say Justin Houston had a monster game last night. Roquan Smith had a major impact on that game. And I think the Ravens defense really showed out. Now, you know, maybe if that you want to say is so limited. But, but here's the thing I was going to say. So how much of it was the Ravens' defense? How much of it was the fact there's no Michael Thomas, no Jarvis Landry, no Teron Armstead on the offensive line anymore? Andy Dalton looks like a shot fighter. Like, which is it? Is it the defense or is it the offense? I think it's the Saints' offense being highly limited. But 
That's part of the problem. You can't get a read on any of these teams because everybody has a flaw. Everybody. The, the one thing with the Eagles is I have a harder time finding their flaw. Mm-hmm. Is it the run? Can they not stop the run? Uh, yeah, sure. I think they have problems against the run, but Jordan Davis isn't playing, and I think when he's out there, that changes the dynamic. I mean, Fletcher Cox is not the same player that he was. Javon Hargrave's not a good run stuffer. So, yeah, I think the Eagles' one fall could be stopping the run. But one of the issues is the Eagles' offense can score, and they can score a variety of ways. So how, how much can you stick with the run against them? I think that's a factor. That's, a, that's something. Phil, Mike, it's obviously not easy to get up for every game regardless of opponent. Houston was difficult potential trap game. They found a way. 8-0 and beating the 7-1 Vikings in 6-2 Dallas is very impressive. How can anyone be skeptical with an undefeated team that will likely be favorites in every game? Guess they have to run the table, go 20-0, and shut these fools up. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, Phil, is you're 8-0, you beat a 7-1 Vikings team. The problem is... Well, a lot of people don't like the Vikings. Correct. You beat Dallas, who's six and two, and most times you would look at a six and two and seven and one team and say they're both good. Well, Dallas had Cooper Rush playing, so that adds to the, you know, that puts a little wrench in the wheel of that conversation, which is understandable. But at the same time, Buffalo was favored by thirteen points and lost the game. So you can lose at any time in any situation. Minnesota being a 7-1 team, that's a spot where if the Eagles aren't any good, you, you probably lose that game just because. I mean, you're at the time you were what? Well, you were 1-0. You're playing against the Vikings, and maybe if the Eagles aren't any good, a Vikings team that – look, I think the Vikings are solid. I don't think they're spectacular. We have this vision in our head that Cousins stinks. But to me, it's not Cousins as much as they have an offensive line now. That changes the dynamic for me. How much do you also think that, you know, Kevin O'Connell being the head coach Big time. has changed not just how the team is playing, but maybe how you, Mike, for example, look at them? Like, do you look at them and say, I, I look at them a little differently because McConnell was their head coach instead of Mike Zimmer? I think O'Connell has changed the energy in that building. It was monotonous. I think Zimmer was not a leader of men. I think he was very boring, not a guy you really rallied around. This team's rallied behind a young coach. And again, they have a lot of great weapons. How many people listening would like Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook on your team? TJ Hawkinson now on your team. Adam Thielen on your team. Their problem was they had those guys and still stunk. Kirk Cousins put up huge numbers, but we never believe in him. Well, now they have this good offensive line. It's not a great offensive line. It's definitely an upgrade, though. Way better. And that has changed the dynamic of what they can and cannot do. So I think Minnesota's better than they've been in the past. I had them win in the North before the season started. So I like them better than Green Bay before the season started. Mm -hmm. So I'm not all that surprised here with Minnesota. Mike and Galloway chimes in. Says, Mike, I'm getting tired of hearing how the Eagles haven't played anybody. Yeah, we beat the Cowboys when they didn't have Dak, but nobody was complaining when Cooper Rush was winning. We gave Minnesota their only loss. Now, if Josh Allen doesn't play and Minnesota goes into Buffalo and wins, that will be another excuse. Nobody expected everyone on our schedule to just fall apart like they did. It's not the team's fault. Everybody started to suck. 
Um, well, Minnesota, I thought, was at full strength. They they basically came here and got their butts kicked. It wasn't like the game was even like a fair fight. The Eagles just demolished that team. Seven and one, if you don't like that team, they're still seven and one. Who's Minnesota beating this year? Check out Minnesota's schedule real fast. I mean, I know they just went on the road and beat Washington, and people aren't going to be all that impressed with that. But, you know, it's a road win in the NFL. And I'm not, like, saying, oh, they beat Washington. But Washington, I think, had won a couple games. So they beat the Packers handily. They lost to the Eagles. They beat Detroit. They beat the Saints. They beat the Bears. They beat the Dolphins. They beat the Cardinals. They beat the Commanders. Now, they don't really have a great win, Minnesota. But that Dolphin game, did Tua play? I don't think so. Uh, let me double check. I thought that was this uh, Skylar Thompson game. Let me double check that. Yeah, Bridgewater played that game. Bridgewater played okay. Yeah, and Bridgewater's not a—he's not a dog, but yeah, he's not a stiff. He's not Tua. They he's don't have a great Tua. win. They, they uh, legitimately, I can say the Vikings do not have a big win. They do not have a solid win on that schedule. I mean, I guess the Dolphins are the best win on the schedule, and that's the Dolphins with Teddy Bridgewater. That's right. Definitely. Uh, say, I can understand that. Then that's fair. I have no problem with that. Like you would say, look, Minnesota seven and one, but they haven't beaten anybody. I have no problem with that because I don't think anybody's beating anybody. <laughs> it's part of the point here. <laughs> but they really haven't beaten anybody. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. More qualifiers for 99 bottles coming up in about 20 minutes. Sports Pass today brought to you by the Gallery Bar Book and Games Ocean Casino Resort. Every Monday we're there this football season where you can cheers your favorite drinks, cheer on your favorite team, go to the Gallery in Ocean Casino Resort, go for the win. For more info, visit OceanAC.com. Must be 21 or older to play gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We had a great time there yesterday. A lot of people were out and about. We called a couple local people hanging out. Just came over and said hello. They were having dinner at Ocean Casino. What a great place. If you're a local and you haven't been out to Ocean, what are you waiting for? Watch the games at the gallery. Have dinner up there. Go out on the weekends. It's a fantastic part of our local area, Ocean Casino Resort. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Healthy life. Now, Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 347, taking you till 6. I'm Mike Gill. What's up? A lot of texts today. Appreciate everybody. 609-403-0973. If you want to leave a message on the text board, you can call 609-403-0973. We'll play your messages on the air. Glenn from EHC. My man, Glenn. What's up, Glenn? Regular season is just pure entertainment, and teams just jockey for playoff positioning. The superstars are made in the playoffs, and that's when going undefeated really matters. Yeah, we all know. Listen, Glenn, people, I have way long ago come to understand the regular season's value is way minimized. I'm not one of those people that sits here and goes nuts because you lose on Tuesday night in February or that you lose a game against the Cubs late in the season or that you stub your toe against the Jets if you're Buffalo. Just because Buffalo lost to the Jets doesn't make me think any less of the Jets. They just didn't play well on that Sunday and they lost. The regular season, is it pure entertainment? Eh, I think that's going a little too far. Look, there are things that have to be accomplished in the regular season. I think getting home field advantage ups your opportunity to go undefeated in the playoffs. In other words, 
not too many teams are going to make the run from wild card, go on the road three straight weeks, and then win. It happens, but it's not optimal to win a Super Bowl. The Eagles won their Super Bowl. They were the number one seed. Getting home games, I think, does matter. That is still something that I think these teams try and value. Now, I think a lot of the teams are so similar and so mediocre or good. There's some good teams. There's just no great teams. There's a lot of good teams. There's just not great teams. And because so many teams are so similar, the jockeying for playoff positioning isn't as valued as much in those middle-tier teams because they feel, hey, we're just as good as you or you're just as good as us and we can beat you on any given Sunday. And they're right. But I think the teams that do stand out are those seeds that are number one, number two, not all the time. 609-403-0973. I think... One of the issues the NFL has is it doesn't have the villain. It doesn't have the team that everybody thinks is the best. That team was the Bills, and they lost. So now we're even questioning them a little bit. Ah, Maybe they're not as good. They lost to the Jets, and Kansas City struggles with Tennessee, and we don't want to say it's the Eagles. So we have a league right now filled with teams that nobody really is giving any credit to. Could the Eagles become that villain because maybe the rest of the country doesn't look at the way we do? I don't think so. You think they're too likable? I don't know if they're. it's that they're likable or as just... much as that they – I don't want to say they're under the radar, but okay. it was not a team that was a Super Bowl favorite at the beginning of the year. And we know we have a hard time when we have an opinion of a team at the start of the season to evolve, changing our opinion about that team. Cincinnati didn't win people over, really, until they got to the Super Bowl. Correct. Like, nobody wanted to be like, ah, I believe in Cincinnati. I really believe in Cincinnati. It's, ah, it's Cincinnati. Well, it wasn't until they made the Super Bowl that people were finally like, this team's pretty good. So we have a really hard time. If our opinion at the beginning of the year was that the Eagles were just an average team or they were just a good team, not a great team, we have a hard time changing that opinion. And that's why I think a lot of people are having a problem with this Eagles team is they didn't believe in Hurts. They don't want to change their opinion on Hurts. And now, because Hurts has played so well, people don't want to say that he's good, and they just want to say that the schedule isn't any good. It can't be that Hurts is really good, and that's why they're playing well. It's, ah, the schedule's not any good, and that's lending to why they've played so well. Because I don't want to evolve my opinion that I had originally because, therefore, my opinion would be wrong. Right. Some people, they don't want to admit they're wrong. They don't want to grow as human beings, and they project those deep-seated issues onto their sports. Mike, I'm not sure about their killer instinct. When they get a lead, they tend to let up. That's definitely something you can bring up, but (laughs) they tend to let up, and then when they do let up and they have to, they seemingly can put their foot back on the gas. I but I do it, think that that is yeah. a fair point. I thought it was a big deal to me on Thursday. They scored 
throughout the entire game. Because how many times do we hear this year, Mike, they only score in the second quarter. They don't score in the fourth quarter, right? Well, I, on Thursday night, they scored throughout the entire game. Yeah, I don't know what Steve and Marmora's games are. Which, which games you're watching, Steve? But he said, I need to see the next step in the passing game. Need to see, can we hit the deep ball? Haven't really seen them stretch the field. Hit the deep ball? Did you watch the Steelers game? <laughs> I mean, what games are you watching, Steve? Uh, I can't agree with you there. Um they have thrown the ball down the field. They have shown that they can go down the field in a variety of ways. Does I mean, Steve watch football? Has he watched the highlight show? I don't want to question whether Steve's watching games or not. Maybe he's only watching part of games, possibly. Uh, A.J. Brown had a 43-yard touchdown pass in that game. He had three touchdown passes in the Steelers game, and two of them were just absolute bombs. Yeah, every one was over 20 yards, I'm pretty sure. The Sorry, Steve, I hate to inform you. I don't know, what does he say is a shot? Like, is it 20 yards or more, 30 yards or more, 40 yards or more? What what yardage are you hoping for? Did you want to see, you know, a 60-yard bomb? I mean, A.J. Brown in week one caught a 54-yard pass. I mean, if you want to say that right now, the Chiefs are having a problem with a deep passing yard game without Tyreek Hill, I understand if that was the comment. Yeah, I don't. I can't get on board with you there, bud. Uh, Watkins had a 53-yard touchdown in the game against Minnesota. Yeah. And that was a seam right down the middle, and it was every bit of 50 yards in the air. I mean, he hit him in stride at about the five-yard line, so maybe he threw it 45 yards in the air. Uh, Steve, I can't get behind you on that one, bud. Um, Can they hit the deep ball? I've already seen them hit the deep ball many times, and I think... The one thing I could say is, you said, I need to see, can we hit the deep ball? Haven't really seen them stretch the field. I think they could do more of it, but they've certainly showed they can hit the deep ball. What I've shown is I'm willing to give away tickets, and I got 99 tickets for 99 bottles. So I need two more listeners out there that want to win tickets for this year's 99 bottles. Caller 6 and Caller 7 right now. 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. Caller 6 and 7, you are entered into this year's 99 Bottles Party. 99 bottles, 99 tickets, 99 winners. Caller 6 and 7 right now. 609-573-3776. We'll see you at Maynard's and Margate. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And, of course, right here on the Sports Bash, it is brought to you today by the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort, where you can get your game on every Monday with the Sports Bash. Cheers your favorite drinks while cheering on your favorite team. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Go for the win. For more information, visit OceanAC.com. Must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER-EAGLES. Uh, halfway through the season, 8-0, Adam Kaplan, and uh, your power rankings are up. And, 
man, everybody is talking about the Eagles 8-0, the Bills lost, the Chiefs kind of scuffed their way through. The big thing we keep hearing, man, we've got a ton of engagement and, and text messages today. You got this group of people who say the Eagles haven't played anybody. The mm-hmm. 8-0 is frivolous. Where do you have the Eagles inside the Birds' power rankings after eight weeks of football? Or actually nine, because the Eagles have had their bye. All right, so Mike, I'm I moved them to number two, from number two to number one. I moved them back to number one. Still the NFL's undefeated team, the lone one. You mentioned the Chiefs. What an unbelievable game they had Sunday night. That that was one of the best games of the season. It was terrific. I just wish the Titans could throw the ball better. They run it. They're they're still running it like any no one's business. Best running team of the NFL right now. Uh, they've got an excellent front. They just they're not great in the secondary. How about Mahomes throwing it sixty eight times? But they they found a way to win. Then the Bills, who I had number one, I'm wor- I'm worried about Josh Allen's. Uh, I'm worried about his right elbow, which he hurt in the game, and, and their loss, their terrible loss to the Jets. They had a sizable lead and blew it. Plus, they're injured at safety, so those would be my top three right now: Eagles, Chiefs. Bills. What do you say, Adam, to those uh, about the Eagles' schedule? Do you have a problem? I mean, ah, they haven't played anybody. You know, I can't be impressed by their wins. Uh, are you uh, someone who says, yeah, they, they really haven't had that signature win yet? Or, I mean, are you like me? I say the whole league hasn't had a signature. There's nobody to beat. Exactly. Yeah, you and I talked about their schedule last week. I, I You have to really watch all 32 teams. When people say, well, this team hasn't played this team or they haven't played a good schedule, because the league is so down in terms of competitiveness, I know the games are closer, but it's a lot of bad teams. As Tom Brady said, there's a lot of bad football. It's not just me or you saying it. Tom Brady said it weeks ago, and his team's also, by the way, not very good. <laughs> so if you just look at it, A, they're being the teams that are, are on their schedule. They're undefeated. Not only are they undefeated, they've, they're under this staff, I think they're, what, 13-4 and four, uh, on the road? That's another un- incredible stat for a young coaching staff. That That's very impressive. Um. They're just, they're very well coached. It's kind of one of the things, Mike, I, I'm not sure what they, you can only play the teams on your schedule, and that's just, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Uh, well, you yeah, only they're, play they're the teams on your schedule, but people will judge your schedule. Yeah, no, I get that. Now, they're 10-3 and three on the road ver- with the staff. And by the way, the in 2017, their Super Bowl season, this goes to show you, if you want to go far, you got to win on the road. They were 6-2. and two. Of course, they, they were on a 16-game schedule, eight row games. And this staff is 4-0 on the road and 10-3 and overall on the road. Uh, so, yeah, look, the, so where do I think they'll be tested before we take a look at some other things here? Tennessee, because of the run game, obviously, when they play here uh, after the Packer game. And then it's the two Giant games. The Giants, they run the ball extremely well with Barkley. We know Barkley's had some good games against the Eagles. By the way, the Giants have a phenomenal defense. They're They're playing a little bit better than most people thought on defense, so that'll be a a challenge for them. And when you just look at the Eagles schedule, yeah, they're, they're the typical, I hate to say cream puffs games that they clearly should win. And the other thing is we were talking about this and inside the birds, they're going to be a favorite in every game. The other tough game, and this one will be a lot harder than the first one because Dak Prescott will start that game unless he gets hurt again. Whereas Cooper rush started, he was terrible in week six when the Eagles smoked him. Uh, that game in week 16, Christmas Eve, at Dallas, Mike, that's probably, to me, if everybody's healthy on both sides of the fo- football for Dallas, that should be the hardest test of the season. All right, well, let me ask you, because uh, I have your power rankings in front of me. You have the top three, Philadelphia, Kansas City, Buffalo. I think most people have them in some top three order. 
four and five, Philadelphia has played Dallas and Minnesota. You have them four and five in your power rankings. Yeah, and I didn't move them from last week. So Dallas was off their bye. And then Minnesota, they had a good comeback win. They're they're the team out of the top ten. They keep winning close games. They keep finding a way to win. Yeah, they have them at five. They're now seven to one. They haven't lost since they played the Eagles. Then Baltimore, who I'll tell you what, they've turned the season around after a slow start. That was a great win they had over the Saints. Very dominant. They're finding ways to win with a lot of guys hurt. Seattle, the two strongest surprises this season. I'm not as, as surprised as other people are with the Vikings. I thought they'd be over 500 because I, I knew they had a good schedule and a good team, good roster. I get it's a new coaching staff, but Seattle being six and three. I mean, I'm. I'll admit, I I I I I, I made six over and under bets before the season started. I'm going to get that one wrong. I had under six. <laughs> Well, but I, I you have it. them ahead of Miami, the Jets yep. right now. Yep. So you, you think you know this why? Seahawks team not only is good, but they are here for the long haul. Well, here's the thing, folks. You could say what you want about Geno Smith. Not only is he, not, not only is he in the, the running for most improved player in the National Football League at offense, he's probably going to be in the running if he keeps this up for the MVP, believe it or not. Geno Smith, yes. That Geno Smith, <laughs> who, by the way, was the Eagles' choice to be quarterback in 2012 with under Chip Kelly heading into their visit at West Virginia. After the visit, they decided they weren't going to draft him. Yeah, and remember, there was a time where people thought Geno Smith might have been the number one overall pick. He ended up sliding all the way to the second round, so it wasn't like this guy was a total bum. In fact, I said the other day, I saw almost every throw he made at West Virginia. His strong suit there was he was so accurate. I mean, he just made every accurate throw. I think, look, we're seeing with Jalen Hurts. You're a product of the offensive system. They got weapons. Metcalf, Lockett, the running back, Walker's a kid, and their offensive line is way better than it's been in the years that they had Russell Wilson when he was running around for his life. Well, he, the problem, though, Mike, on that with Russell Wilson, where I disagree with you, he held on to the ball way too long and it made their offensive line look worse. Fair. But on your point, they drafted two rookie tackles, including Charles Cross's or left tackle. The, the, the two kids have played really well. You mentioned Kenneth Walker has been a great story. Remember, they lost Rashad Penny, their starter, starting running back for the season. But they drafted Walker to replace him. He's been terrific. Look, they they they've been an incredible story. This is uh, and the, but the Jets, uh, the Dolphins at eight, they keep winning. They're finding way, ways to win, um, though their defense is struggling a little bit. But the Jets, they had arguably the NFL's hardest schedule coming in the season. That's why Vegas only had them for five and a half wins. I had them over five and a half. I thought they get seven. They're already at six. They're six and three. What an incredible comeback win. And Zach Wilson played a little better last week. But their defense is the story, Mike. One of the best defenses of the National Football League. And their, sec- their secondary, Sauce Gardner, clearly the defensive rookie of the year. He's been awesome. And, and another one for Seattle, Tariq Woolen, who's a rookie out of Clemson, I think. Yep. He's at corner as well. He's been terrific. Fifth round Seattle pick. They got him deep yeah. in the draft. Their draft class yep. has been outstanding. Um, speaking of draft class outstanding, Jalen Hurts was a second round pick. And I guess we're eight weeks in. Uh, and we're going to have to start at some point wondering, what's, what's the contract going to look like for Jalen Hurts? He's signed through next year at $1.3 million. I would imagine there might be his agent. He might say, Jalen, you're not playing at that number. Yeah, so we, our show that dropped Monday morning, we we had been asked to do this. Uh, it's actually been our one of the most traffic shows in months. So it's a we we, we devoted everything to. We didn't talk about the Houston game at all. Uh, it was all contracts. The, the show that drops tomorrow, 
uh, will be all on on the Houston tape. But this one was contracts, and you're right. I mean, it's crazy that I think I have to look it up. Zach Pascal might be making more than Jalen Hurts this season. That's how crazy it is. Uh, yeah. So if he continues to play at this almost MVP level. You're looking at a Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray contract. Dak Prescott making forty million per season. <laughs> yeah, look, you can't be less than that if he plays at MVP level. Now, Dak Prescott, the argument is he's done better for longer, no question. Forty-two million per year over three-year average, and then Kyler Murray. Now, Kyler Murray's contract is kind of complicated: forty-six million per season, forty-nine million over forty-nine million for three years. But it's got a very good team structure. That's also a five-year deal. Dak signed a four-year structure. Dax was in twenty-one. Kyler Murray got his uh, before training camp started. It's just a matter of how well he plays. Remember, we we, we did the show because it's the midway point uh, of the NFL season. He's got to continue to play this well. And they they also can't lose early in the playoffs. And he can't be the reason, like last year, why they they struggled against Tampa Bay. They're winning with him in a big way, not just just not just with him. They're winning because of him. And if he continues to do this, Mike, you know the Eagles. They love to extend these players early. He, he they will absolutely look to absolutely get try to get him extended uh, if if he continues to play this highly. And but they can't do it till after the season's well, over. Well, and they have a lot of interesting decisions. And I bring this up. You know, Minshew, Sanders, Scott, Kelsey, Samala, Dillard, Fletcher, Javon, uh, Kaiser, TJ, Bradbury, Carter, Johnson, Epps. You wonder. Is the window right here with all those decisions they have to make, and and you can kind of comment on some of those guys, but man, they got a lot of guys who they're going to have to make decisions on. So if it's like not now, then what? Right. So the couple that could get done before the season ends, it, it could be where they think they might be getting a discount with like T.J. Edwards again. They, they extend his contract uh, for the season ended for a year. They could go to him, and of course that this is the tough thing for. We, we told people before the season started, folks, we promise you, you will not be embarrassed by this receiver group. And we they certainly have not been. This has been a, actually a strength of the football team. Who knew? But th this has been a great story. So I could see them going to T.J. Edwards before the season's over. Uh, so the one – and 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 Darius Slay, see, here's the thing. He signed through next season, but his cap number is so enormous, over $26 million. They've got to lower it. He cannot go into next season with that cap number. His salary is $17 million. So you could extend it. You could severely lower his his base salary, just give him a big signing bonus to extend the contract, a bunch of dummy years. But they could go to a couple of these guys. And now the, the the ones that are going to be the toughest, Mike, of this list will be Miles Sanders if he continues to play well. I would say he would be one. Obviously, as we mentioned, Jalen Hurts because the numbers will be bigger if he if he's an MVP type. Javon Hargrave with the last two teams, last two games has been brilliant. James Bradbury. What do you do with him? He's playing an exceptional football, bounced back from a tough year last year. And then the safeties, Gardner Johnson, Marcus Epps. I don't see both coming back. Uh, Gardner Johnson's been phenomenal with the interceptions, five and four games, last four, four, an interception each one of those four games. So they've got some tough decisions to make. A lot there. You just mentioned some pretty good and key players to this whole thing. And we think it's a good you, problem to have. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good problem to have. It's interesting. And, and you know, there's a lot of guys, you know, you mentioned Kaiser White, TJ Edwards. One of the questions uh for John Gannon today was, hey, Nicobe Dean's not playing at all. Have you have you looked to try to get a a package for him or something. And they're like, yeah, we try that with everybody. But it just goes to show now, there's some good players on this team or guys they think are good players that aren't even getting on the field that will um, affect their decisions 
moving forward. Okay, you know, do I want Nicobe yeah. Dean on the field? Yes, so therefore I'm not going to bring so and so back. That kind of stuff. Well, you could go year to year with T.J. Edwards. Okay, look, he, he's probably their most improved player on the football team. He absolutely should be starting. There's no everybody knows that he's played great. He's played well over what anyone could have thought. Give uh, Nick Rollis a credit uh, credit who coaches him. He's done a great job. Because by the way, as young as a lot of these players, only like 28 years old, but they're they're doing a great job of developing him and. Kaiser White, you know, they've they've cycled through these one-year guys. Corey Nelson didn't work. Eric Wilson didn't work. There are other one-year linebackers over the years that didn't work. But this guy, Kaiser White, has been a stud, former safety, as you know, at, at West Virginia. Uh, he, he's earning a, 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 a reason to come back. But they have leverage here because of Dean. That's Their leverage is really in the Kobe Dean in negotiations. They're like, hey, listen, we offer your deal. You don't want it. We'll just go to Dean. Right. Um, it'll be interesting to see Adam Kaplan, the Eagles 8-0, back on Friday here on the Sports Bash. We'll look at the Commanders, who are in town on Monday night football. Tyler Heineke, they're in the wild card mix right now, a half a sure. game out. So big game for Washington coming into Philly Monday night football. And you can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Adam Kaplan, we'll catch up on Friday. Sounds good, thanks. More football at four tomorrow. Jeff Mosher is back. We'll get his take on this commander's team and get his pick uh, on the game and more. 609-403-0973. Text board is open. You can always call the text board and leave a message. 609-403-0973. If you call that number, you'll be able to be able to leave a message and we can play the message and react to it as well. 609 403 0973. I'm Mike Hill. This is the Sports Bash. And, you know, coming up, we have another chance for you to qualify for 99 bottles. Rich and EHT, James and EHT are our latest qualifiers. So welcome to the party. It's 99 bottles at Maynard's and Margate. 99 bottles, 99 winners, 99 tickets. Yes, all 99 qualifiers walk out with something, a pair of tickets, an overnight stay, gift cards, all sorts of prizes. It's 99 bottles. It's the biggest party night of the year. Wednesday, November 23rd, the night before Thanksgiving, and it only can be held at one place, the world-famous Maynard's in Margate. We hope to see everybody there. If you're a qualifier, bring your friends because we're going to hang out and have a blast at this year's 99 Bottles Party on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Hey, I want to tell you about Mojo. I've been having a lot of fun with Mojo. Been telling my friends about it. A lot of my friends are already doing it as well. It's a sports stock market. It's like buying a stock, like in a company, but for athletes. Mojo, founded by athletes like Alex Rodriguez. It's a sports stock market where you can invest in any player on any team, college and pro, by the way. So if you like fantasy sports, you're like one of those guys, hey, I know young players. I know who's going to be good. Buy them early, watch them perform, and then sell high and make money. Cash in on your passion. Download the Mojo app now. Visit the app store and get your first player stock free. It's worth up to $10,000, and it's free. You must be 21 or older to play in Jersey to trade at Mojo. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. That's Mojo, M-O-J-O, Mojo. More Sports Bash coming up here on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN.
425 Tuesday Sports Bash Flyers tonight on 97.3 ESPN uh, Carter Hart's been really good Nobody else has been really good They are they can't score That team's tough to watch offensively But Hart has been really good Remember like two years ago Or maybe I guess it was two years ago When they were like the number one seed and Yeah in the bubble I routinely would say Watching Carter Hart's worth your time He's back to that player right now. He and, has been really And he's good. better. He's better than he was two years ago, He too. is really good. And if you were like, wow, the Flyers are actually good. No, they're not good. Carter he's Hart's good. good. They can't score a lick. Um, but record-wise, they're 6-3-2. and two. Not bad. I mean, better than we all <laughs> probably thought. But yeah. Uh, they're back playing the Blues. The Blues are struggling, so this is a game that they could possibly you know pick up. I know we were talking about earlier in the year, you know, before the season started, like is this a, a tank situation or like you're not too sad if they lose? And then the Flyers go out and start winning games. The Utah Jazz too is another team that like people thought were trying to get rid of people. They're like eight and three. I think they're the second seed right now in the yeah, West. Yeah, the Funny season ended right now. They have the number two seed. <laughs> Funny how that kind of stuff happens. Yeah, the Lakers be out of the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. You know, somebody texted in earlier. The, the guy who texted in about the local teams and yada yada, and I and I said, look, the giant thing. Fine, they're in New Jersey. If you want to say, I mean, they're two and a half hours away from here. So if you want to make that argument, whatever. But Dallas has no argument. There's no reason why anybody here should be a Dallas fan unless you're like 45 years old. If you're in your 60s, fine, I get it. They were the only team on TV. Anybody from like 40 on or younger, they have no business. I said that's part of the problem in our society. Dallas is still a brand, and they haven't been relevant in 30 years. Like, all right, the Dallas thing... If anybody had uh, the ability to think for yourselves, they haven't been relevant in 30 years. The Lakers are another one. The Lakers are becoming a team that should not have a national brand behind them right now. They stink. But They're least, not worth our time. But at least the Lakers have won more championships in the last 20 I, years I than Dallas say, has ever won. I didn't say in the last 20 years. I said right in the last couple of years. So in other words, if you're someone who's like 15 years old, they want there's no the reason why you should be like, hey, you know what? The Lakers are good. I'm going to become a fan of them. You're becoming a fan of their brand, not Sure. You know what I'm saying? No, I hear what you're saying. There's yeah. no reason why anybody would be a Dallas fan. They haven't won anything. Yeah, people are weird, right? You're literally, it's like you're going back to when I was in high school now. Uh, what, 98 did they win? Who? It's the last time Dallas won. 96? 95, 96? I thought it was. 95? You're going back to when I was in, they won when I was in college one year. Maybe <laughs> when I was a freshman. <laughs> so literally, I was in West Virginia the last time. I lived in West Virginia the last time Dallas won the Super Bowl. So anybody who has decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a Dallas fan. Since that time, I need an explanation. The 1995 NFL season, yep. Yeah, so last time, they Neil O'Donnell, they beat the Steelers. <laughs> I remember watching the game. I'm in West Virginia, and a lot of people in West Virginia are Steelers fans. Well, I was trying to fact check myself here, you know? Yeah. I said 95, wanted to make sure I got it right. Yeah, I didn't know. Um, I said 98. I'm talking about the Yankees in 98. That's the other team. Dallas, Yankees. Yankees won a World Series in 2009. 
Yes, but I'm talking about it. I'm thinking of 98 is when. Because oh. usually the Dallas and Yankee fans are the same people. Right. They usually hang out together. Everybody that I know that likes Dallas also likes the Yankees. And they happen to be Laker fans and Duke fans too, right? Most of them. <laughs> Notre Dame football. Yeah, they're throwing football there, too. But Duke I'm just basketball. saying, Dallas hasn't been relevant in 30 years. Yeah, they're the most unrelevant well, of all it's those a, teams. It's a, it, it, it shows the two Marketing. things. It shows the power of branding, but how dumb people can be branded by something. Dumb, gullible, same difference, well, right? Yeah, I mean, the fact that they haven't won in 30 years and people are like still like jumping on a team that hasn't been relevant in 30 years. It shows you that branding works. So maybe you want to advertise with the sports pack. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got some audio cuts that are not about the Cowboys. Is that okay? Thankfully. <laughs> so I want to start with this. So last night, uh, Rob Motti was on game night with me. He joins the show every Monday. And I was asking about Frank Reich moving forward. Well, I want you to hear, Mike, I want you to hear your reaction because, you know, the idea is that, you know, Frank Reich's going to have a lot of suitors this offseason, right? Well, this is what Rob Motti had to say about some of the teams that might have guys in the hot seat. And you may be surprised about who Rob Motti thinks might have a job opening this offseason. But he'll be on team short list, too. We already got two openings now. There's certainly going to be a lot more. There's a lot of coaches out there that you look at and you go, potentially, they're going to be on the hot seat. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, for sure, in Arizona. Uh, depending on how things play out in Tampa Bay, Todd Bowles could be uh, a one-and-done on the hot seat. But look at Green Bay and what's happened with Matt LaFleur. Despite uh, the 13 win, 13 win, 13 wins that he's had his first three seasons or whatever that is, they're now three and six, five straight losses, headed towards not making the playoffs, and then they and, and then add in the playoff failures, getting the number one seed two years in a row and doing nothing with it. Uh, he could be on the hot seat. So there and at Las Vegas with Josh McDaniels, there's a ton. You look around the league and I, I think Frank Reich slots in nicely somewhere. Well, I mean, he's right about, I think there's going to be a lot of teams. Um, I don't know that LaFleur gets canned because they had one bad year. Bowles. Interesting. He's in Tampa. He would probably have a little bit better beat on that. I think guys, Kingsbury, I think certainly. If they don't make the playoffs, I would imagine he's out. Right. Uh, McVeigh, that's going to be up to him. There's been some reports that once this core Donald Stafford Cup is done, that he's going to leave with him. Yeah, and the, the theory is is that, you know, McVeigh had said on that podcast with Peter Schrager that, you know, he wants to coach football for as long as he loves it and as long as he loves coaching. So... I don't know what that timetable means, but it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, San Francisco, no. Seattle, no, unless Carroll decides he wants to leave. I mean, Rob brought up also the Raiders. Well, I'm getting there. Carolina, definitely going to hire a new coach. The Saints, how about that? Dennis Allen, they just brought him in, but if that thing continues to be a disaster. Atlanta, no. Tampa, possible, I guess he's saying. Detroit's interesting. I mean, how many more years do you think, you know, you can just keep having a coach who's not getting results on the field, but you're grinding these players so much? Yeah, and there's a there's a question about, you know, not just uh, Dan Campbell, 
But what about the rest of his coaching staff? You know, well, is Dan Campbell willing to change the coaching staff if necessary, or do you have to get rid of him and the whole lot? Yeah. Um, Chicago just hired a coach. I can't imagine they fire him. Green Bay, I disagree. I don't think he would be in trouble. Minnesota, no. Washington, doubtful. Unless they didn't win another game the rest of the year, and they just was a complete dumpster. Anything's possible, right? Mm-hmm. New York, no. Dallas, no. Philly, no. Raiders, look, I didn't like Josh McDaniel to begin with. I just don't think he's head coaching material. Some guys are just coordinators. Uh, Denver, that's interesting. I mean, Unless they turn it around. I mean, people thought that team could be a Super Bowl contender. Is he holding them back? He might be. Chargers are interesting. If they don't make the playoffs this year, would Staley be a guy they say, all right, it's not working? It's so weird because the Chargers have had so many injuries. I mean, they can't stay healthy year after year after year. And at some point, you're just like, you know, is, is the Chargers franchise cursed? Like, it doesn't matter not who the coach is. Uh, Kansas City, no. Houston, possible. You never know. I mean, I mean that, that would be two years in a row firing your coach after one year. Well, also, don't forget, you know, they fired Jack Easterby up there in uh, down there in Houston. He was supposed to be like, you know, the guy lording over the organization, and now he's out of the organization. Now Nick Casario has a larger role. Does that change things? In uh, Jacksonville, no. Indy, obviously, yes. Tennessee, no. Uh, the only way I can see Tennessee is if they are like the number one seed again and just get knocked out early. Maybe they just decide to part ways. Yeah, I just I would have trouble believing Vrabel is gone just because I feel like the GM Robinson is invested in him as the head coach. I'm just saying if he says, "Look, I've taken this team. We're the number one seed. As far as it can go. This is as far as I can get. This I, you know I've done the best best I can." Al, that really hurt. Um, are you okay over there? <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the oh there it is. My 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 arm hit my headset and pulled it right out of my ear. That hurt. Ooh, that hurt. Um, Pittsburgh. I know they don't like to fire the coach there, but but, it, but it, does Tom? I don't think it's a fire. That's a step down. Yeah, does Tomlin be like, you know what? I've had my fill. It's been a good run. That I can see, unless he really believes in Pickett and says, "Okay, we got the right guy here. Right, I'm okay." But that would be one. Cleveland, I mean, they really felt they had something with Stefanski, and now I guess it depends on what happens when Watson comes back. Yeah, and and do you do you say, well, Watson didn't play most of this year. We'll wait till next year to make an evaluation. I think they like Stefanski enough there that they would do that, although Haslam's been another trigger-happy guy. Yes. Cincinnati, no. Baltimore, definitely not. New England, no. Miami, no. Jets, no. Buffalo. So... How many is that there? I give you uh, one. Raiders, Panthers, two, Cardinals, three, Colts, four, five, six, six, seven, eight, nine. I give you about nine possible openings. Maybe ten with Pittsburgh. Oh, maybe eleven with Tennessee. But I don't think Tennessee's a fire, and I think that's a we're 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 just we're mutually agreeing that we've got as far as we can. Right. You know, I do feel. Like, the shelf life of coaches is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And teams. Like, fans get so over the cores. It's like, oh, the same group of guys for three years, four years. To the point, like, the Sixers are almost, you're almost kind of bored with this team because it's a lot of the, like, I know Harden's new, but you almost feel like the Harden and Bede and, so, and like, like, 
because Tobias Harris is still here. Corkmaz is still here. Shake Milton's still here. Like, it's so many of the same guys that the monotony of an 82-game season is hard enough. And then the monotony of an 82-game season with the same group of guys makes it even more difficult. That used to be what drew you to a team, is this group of guys that you've been invested in in so long. But now it's like we're we're a society where we want new things all the time, and it's like the same group of guys that you can't get excited about anymore. So I think the shelf life of coaches is is definitely getting smaller and smaller. Like, I don't know, are, are these guys like in three-year windows, five-year windows? I'm guessing it's four or five years the way things are going. Well, like the whole Rob Thompson thing, for instance. I'm glad you brought him up because that's my next audio cut. Well, okay, go ahead and play it. Well, so for those who didn't see, they announced the finalists for the awards last night. And Rob Thompson yeah, he was got jobbed. not a finalist in yonder. This isn't Phillies fan to anything. The three guys they picked, two of them don't belong on the list, and I have a replacement. Yonder Alonzo was not pleased last night on MLB Network that Rob Thompson was left out. Take a listen. When you look at what the job Rob Thompson did, taking over the Phillies, I mean, they were struggling when he took over the 22 and 29. You know, they ended up kicking butt after that going 64 and 46. I I just, I know this award is what you did for me in the regular season, but come on, listen, when you talk about nothing against Dave Roberts, he had an absolute squad, but it was a team that was destined to win the division. You know, so I I feel like for me, you know, you can talk about the Braves, you can talk about the Mets, the Mets, like Buck Walter, he knew he was going to have a good team. But when I talk about a guy like Rob Thompson doing what he did, taking a team that was basically, I guarantee you everybody had them just, that's it. The season's over. Good luck, Rob Thompson, picking up that squad. And, and, and to see what he did was just unbelievable. I, I really would love to have seen him be nominated. He's absolutely right. Uh, the two guys, Dave Roberts had no business being there. They were in the National League Championship Series last year. They've been in the playoffs for how many straight years? Um, 10? Feels like 8 or 10. Dave yeah. Roberts doesn't have to be. He's not a manager of the year. They're the best team in baseball with the highest payroll. Right. Brian Snitaker won the damn World Series last year. Why would he be the manager of the year? The Braves were the best team in the league last year. Now, they improved from 88 wins to 101 wins, which, okay. But you won the World Series. I already knew you were going to be a good team. Manager of the year to me, uh, I have no problem with Buck. I disagree with him on Buck Schallwarzer. The Mets have been a team that has all sorts of problems, uh, all sorts of disappointments, including this year, by the way. But their regular season win on 101 games, significantly better than I think anybody. And they won a lot of games early without DeGrom, and that put them in position to be a 100-win team, winning right. all the games. So I give Buck should be on that list. Rob Thompson, a thousand percent, deserves to be on the list, um, and I think there's five other candidates above the two they put on the list. I'll give them to you. One, Brandon Hyde in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Did anybody think Baltimore would have a winning record? No one. Nobody. Nobody. They won eighty three games. They were in the wild card mix the whole year. For that Baltimore Orioles team. And they dumped players at the deadline. For that Baltimore Orioles team to be in the mix, he deserves a gold star. Yes. He deserves any, he belongs on that list. Should he win it? I'm not sure. That's one. 
I think the other guy, Bob Melvin in San Diego, you can make an argument. Look, they didn't have Tatis the whole year. Now, they ended up trading for Soto and Hayter, but you don't have Tatis. That team was not very good. Right. You know, the rest, and he kept them in the wild card. Now, I thought he managed a poor series against the Phillies, but to play the whole year without an MVP candidate and make the playoffs. I, I got to be honest, man, to not have him on the list is kind of crazy to me. I would say another guy, look, the Seattle Mariners haven't made the playoffs in how many years? 21 years? 21 years, and Service got him there. And, and Scott Service finally got that team to the playoffs. And then, he, and then he got an extension. Thank goodness. <laughs> but I'm saying, forget what he did afterwards. He won 90 games with a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in 21 years. And he has, doesn't get a whiff. Didn't get a whiff. So those three guys there definitively should have been ahead of Roberts and Snitaker. I don't have a problem with Buck. And then, of course, Rob Thompson, what that guy said. His record after 22 and 29. Another team that hadn't been to the playoffs in 11 years. Being 20, 20, 22 and 29 and then getting them to the playoffs. That is a more impressive managerial job than the two teams who already won the World Series the year before and went to the National League Championship game. I knew you guys were going to be good. And then if you wanted to throw one other team manager into the mix, I guess you can go with the Guardians. Yeah, Francona. It's a very young team. Francona, a very young team. Yeah, they went through some injuries this year. So you could throw them in the conversation. That's a really, really young team, that, that team. So I would throw them into the mix, too. Let's get another cut in here. So this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Did I hear the? Oh, that was never mind. Go ahead. I thought I thought the cut was from Rob Thompson. It was him talking about Thompson. <laughs> no, um, from Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max this morning. So former Vikings linebacker Ben Lieber was on the show, and I got to get your reaction to this, Mike, because um, Lieber sounds like a homer with his take on Kirk Cousins. Take a listen. However you feel about Kirk Cousins, we all understand that he's not Josh Allen. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not one of those guys. We all understand that. But I think we've seen a lot of Super Bowls being won by quarterbacks that are not top five elite quarterbacks. And I think that Kirk Cousins, I think he's a top 10 quarterback. You've got a lot of weapons on this team. This defense continues to get better. They're getting after the passer a lot more. They're stopping the run a little bit better. This is a team that's trending in the right direction. And Kirk's uh, a big part of that. I don't have a big problem with what he said. What, what, where's your issue with what Top he said? Top 10 quarterback, Kirk Cousins? Um, Mahomes, Burrow, Allen. Brady still? Brady, I mean, Rodgers, but Rodgers having a horrible year. Yeah. That's five. Stafford, do you put him in there? See, I think Stafford and Cousins are... Kind of the are, same, kind of the same guy. Like Stafford won the Super Bowl, but and he had a great run. But I think you're seeing who Stafford is. He makes mistakes. He makes bad decisions. Um, Hertz or Cousins? I like Hertz because he can move. Cousins is a more one dimensional passer, but the guy puts up major numbers. I mean, it just. <laughs> I, I think. He's got 15 touchdowns and three interceptions this year. He's having a great year. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with right now saying he's having a better year than Peter uh, uh, um, Rodgers. Is he better than Rodgers? No. But I think his point is, like, Nick Foles isn't some all-time great. 
if you have a good team around, if you just have a good right. quarterback, if that quarterback's not going to hurt you, 15 touchdowns, three interceptions. Now, the problem is Kirk Cousins in big moments has hurt you. That's why we don't buy into him. It goes back to our predetermined decision on Cousins has already been made, and we do not believe that players can evolve and get better. They always are who we believe they are. Cousins falls into that. I don't have a big problem with what he said, though. Because right now, statistically speaking, he's better than Aaron Rodgers. Do I want him over Aaron Rodgers? No. But I think Cousins is a product of being on a team now that has better offensive line play. He talked about their defense is better. It's a better team. It's a better offense. Right. The Zimmer offense, not very creative, not great. O'Connell's offense, a little bit more diverse. Gets the ball into playmakers' hands. He's got more playmakers. There you go. One more. We mentioned Rodgers. Max Kellerman this morning on 97.3 ESPN on KJM asked if this analogy, he asked his co-host, he laid it out for them, is this analogy accurate for Aaron Rodgers right now? I want your opinion, Michael. Of course, the computer froze for a minute, so let me just requeue that up. Roy Jones Jr., most talented fighter I ever saw, right? Fought in around the same weight classes as Bernard Hopkins, an all-time great champion. When they were young, Roy could do whatever he wanted, right? Bernard couldn't, so he had to learn technical skill just right. As they got older, and Roy beat him easy the first time. As they got older, when they got really old, like in their 40s, Bernard beat him in the rematch because Bernard aged much better because Roy still looked fast. It's almost imperceptible to the naked eye. But when he lost a little of that extra edge, now he needed to rely on technique that he never had to develop the way Bernard did. Is that happening to Rob? So when you watch him, he still looks good, can run, can throw, do all these things, but it's not at the level he needs it to be to take the kind of chances he used to take. The difference is that could be possible, but I would say it's more of a product of, in the past, he had players to help him out. That extra edge is he doesn't have Devontae Adams. He doesn't have Robert Walker and, you know, Driver. He had these great players around him before that gave him that edge he don't have that guy right now uh, Paulo Bonchero who I know is a basketball player I'm just saying isn't that guy playing wide receiver right now for, he might uh, be actually who's the guy who just got hurt Dubois uh, or something uh, uh, Romeo Dobbs yeah come on that's your best weapon right now pretty much get Alan out. Lazard can't stay healthy get out of here with that Sports Bash Live who's in Who's out? Which 14 teams are making the playoffs? Find out next here on 97.3 ESPN. This is now Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, who's in, who's out? Sports Bash. These are the 14 teams we think will make the playoffs in the NFL. Who's in, who's out being brought to you by Jenkins and Sons. No need to call the drain guy, the heater guy, the plumbing guy. Jenkins technicians are trained to do it all. Call them at 609-641-6262. Online at JenkinsAndSons.com. Uh, all right. I got to tell you, I don't have one change from last week. Wow. Every, all 14 teams I have back in. I don't know that's ever happened before, by the way. I don't think it's ever happened either. So you got Buffalo. Buffalo in the East. Are you changing? Because nope. the Jets win? Nah. I got the uh, Ravens in the north. I got the Ravens in the north. Tennessee in the south. Yep. Kansas City in the west. Absolutely. Miami. Miami. Cincinnati. Yeah, I got Cincinnati. Who's the last one, though? Patriots. I got the Chargers. No Jets? 
Not Jets. I don't believe in Nobody went Jets. Wow. I thought for sure you were going Jets. Listen, you know who beat the Bills last year? The Jags. They didn't make the playoffs either. <laughs> yeah, but the Jets have six wins now. Five. What are for they? Now. Six and three, five and three, something like that. Six and three, yeah. Six is, six is getting you there. It's pretty close. It's getting there, but I need to see more. Yeah. NFC, any changes? Eagles. Eagles. Minnesota. Minnesota. Tampa. Tampa's hanging on by a thread. They needed that win last week. Yeah, they did. San Francisco. I'm going with Seattle. I think the schedule is laying out for them to win the division right now. And I think 49ers get in with a wild card. Seattle. I got San Fran. Dallas. I got Dallas. Giants. I got Giants. I got three out of the NFCs. How about that? As do I. Now, it'll be interesting because right now, Washington's a half game behind San Francisco. For now. For now, I'm just saying. But that would be four NFC East teams. And by the way, it, let's say the Jets got in. There could be four AFC East teams that get in. Can I run you down the Washington schedule coming up after the Eagles game? Sure. Houston, Atlanta, Giants, bye week. Giants out of the bye week. 49ers, the Browns with Deshaun Watson in the last game of the year. Cowboys. Yeah, I'm not saying I don't have Washington in. I'm just saying. Well, I just I was adding they're good in enough, and they beat contest. some good teams. They're going to climb their way. They're only a half game behind San Francisco right now. Interesting conversation brought to you by Jenkins and Sons. Give them a call at 609-641-6262 online at JenkinsAndSons.com. All right, right now I need caller six and seven, 99 bottles. Who's in right now? Who's in and who's out? Caller six and seven are in. Everybody else, you're out. 609-573-3776. Caller six and seven right now. 609-573-3776. Caller six and seven right now. You are entered for this year's 99 bottles party. 99 bottles, 99 tickets. 99 winners Wednesday, November 23rd Maynards and Margate We're going to pack the place With 99 bottles 99 qualifiers And all 99 people Are walking out of there with something Eagles club box tickets Sixers tickets Flyers tickets Overnight stays And so much more Good luck This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Just after five, Sports Bash is live on a Tuesday. Phillies, of course, their offseason is here. What's next for the Bills? Talk to former major leaguer Dave Gallagher. Want to congratulate Jason in Millville, Dave in Mays Landing. You have qualified for 99 bottles. We'll see you November 23rd at Maynard's and Margate. Every qualifier wins a pair of tickets. 99 bottles, 99 tickets, 99 winners. This year's 99 bottles party at Maynard's and Margate. We'll qualify two more in the 5 o'clock hour and tonight on game night here on the sports pass. Dave Gallagher played nine years in the majors and uh, has watched this Philly season. We've had him on throughout the playoffs and the World Series in the Phillies. Dave, 
just kind of ran out of gas, uh, it looked like there at the end. But that's a really good Astros team they played. Uh, deeper, probably a little bit more pitching than the Phillies have. But let's start with the pitching decision that we saw on Saturday night and kind of get your perspective on that. He has managed that game like that many times, but should he have altered his decision-making Saturday night with Wheeler? Well, first of all, I definitely want to congratulate all Philly fans and, and the whole Philly organization. And now you got a couple of days to step back away and and uh, probably appreciate how much fun you had watching. I know I did, watching that team and what they accomplished. Um, yeah, I look back and I think that Rob uh, Thompson made that decision in the seventh. And he may have just made it like so much. Can you imagine the hours of pre-planning every situation in your head, which he must have done? And he probably had it in his head as soon as Wheeler. The Astros, I'm sure, did the same thing. As soon as our starter gets in trouble, I'm going to the pen because we have a good, a good bullpen, especially the back end for the Phillies, and they're all rested. Uh, I think in that situation, though, um, he brings in a lefty for the matchup, but, but Jordan hits lefties. And that's a, that was a proven fact over the course of the season. So, and how much, Dave? Uh, real quick, the fact that they've gone to that matchup a couple times in the series that you're and 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 Alvarado had won the battle a couple times, and you were waiting for the other shoe to drop for Alvarez to get Alvarado. That you decide, eh, you know what? He's seen Alvarado a couple times. Maybe I'll stick with Wheeler here. Yeah, I, I can understand it. I think we can all understand the move. Um, that it is a lefty lefty. It's not just lefty lefty. It's a tough lefty face. I actually tweeted out how how difficult it must be for anybody, let alone a left-handed hitter, to face that arm. Um, the fact that he doesn't have pinpoint control makes it even more difficult because that ball's getting on you in a hurry. It's hard to guess with a guy like that uh, that sometimes doesn't even know his own location rather than you having to guess where it's going to be. Um, so it is hard to second-guess the move, but I think what stands out is how that inning went. Um, a a two-seamer that ran in on Maldonado. I I don't blame him. He crowded the plate. I thought he crowded the plate to take away that little backdoor two-seamer on the outside corner that Wheeler was dotting all game long. But I heard him in an interview, and he actually said, I'm trying to get on base any way I can. I know he likes to come in. And I think he said to himself, um, according to this interview, that he wanted to get hit. Uh, So... That he gets hit, then Altuve hits what could have been a double play ball that just couldn't turn it quick enough. Um, and then Pena hits a ball that, if defended differently, that's a double play ball. So there wasn't anything that he was showing, any signs of of losing it. And I think he was even surprised uh, to be taken out of the game at that point. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know what everybody's philosophy is on this, but I, if my best guy's out there, I go down with my best guy. I don't think anybody questions you. Wheeler at 70 pitches, he's your best. If he gives up the hit, okay. But you – and not that Alvarado stinks. He had been outstanding. But I still go down with my best guy. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I would, too. I I don't know. I think, Mike, if I remember right, I think that uh, Rob Thompson in a post-game interview actually just stuck with that. You know, I thought it was a good matchup. He, he needed a strikeout or wanted a strikeout at the time. He took his shot with that. Um, I, I guess I can't blame him for that, but I'm with you. Well, that's a good point by him is that, look, there's nobody out this first and third. There's no reason to believe that Wheeler's going to wiggle his way out of that inning. He, you know, uh, he gives up a hit there. They score a run and, and the whole energy changes in that building already 
I need a strikeout. Who gives me a better shot for a strikeout? My lefty power arm or my right-hander who has had some arm issues? Yeah, and and I think either answer is probably a sufficient answer uh, because Wheeler can get a ground ball. He can also get a strikeout. Um, And I guess he just said to himself, somebody's got to make that decision, right? Um, So I think his decision was I'm going to go with a tough lefty uh, off of a great lefty hitter that's had a, a fantastic year. And I just think the part of the equation that wasn't weighed heavily enough was that uh, Alvarez, uh, Jordan, stands in on lefties as good as anybody in the entire game. Um, Uh, It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and he hits lefties better, as you chronicled. Uh, Dave Gallagher, former major leaguer, nine years, 95 with the Phillies. Uh, You watch these games, you know you're watching hitters. You, You could pick up on some tendencies way better than most of us can. Why did the Phillies' bats go historically cold? They got no hit. They left 12 runners on base, and they just could not get a hit in game six. Uh, they had the one home run from Schwarber. But they were, I think we said the other day, they hit 092 in the series. Uh, historically bad. Why did it all of a sudden go south for the offense? Well, you know, look, I thought about that, and I think that's exactly what the the entire staff and the general manager, that's the discussions they're I'm sure they've already had uh, looking forward to next year is I, I think in a lot of ways that the postseason mirrored the regular season. They, they were very streaky during the regular season. That makes sense to me because of the way the lineup is constructed, that they can just go off with power numbers. Uh, but I think it's difficult for them to maintain uh, success consistently when there's just a lot of strikeouts, a lot of games with double-figure strikeouts. Uh, sometimes overall approach doesn't seem to make sense in situations from, from some of the guys. Um, and I think when you get to the playoffs, you need a little bit different game than what you you know may have success in a 162-game season. You know, if you think about it, Mike, how much the Philly fans and the Phillies, I'm sure, valued a couple of key at-bats uh, from Segura. And they weren't home runs. They were just tough outs. You know, being able to put a ball in play, you hear that from the time both of us were kids. You, you hear that, put the ball in play, you have a chance. In the major leagues, sometimes putting the ball in play doesn't get you, guarantee you a hit. But in, in a series like that, contact can be a, a difference. And they lacked that throughout the lineup. They had a couple of guys that were good at it. And I think that inconsistency that we saw during the season where they'd be hot as a team and as individuals for a while and then go stone cold, Um, they played similarly. I think it mirrored in the postseason. Um, There's a bunch that's on the table here, but uh, you get this. It's fair to say the Astros are a better, deeper team, but when you watch it, are the Phillies good enough to get back, or is this a lightning-in-the-bottle type of roster i mean are these two teams close um or is philadelphia a team that caught lightning in the bottle and that's why they're here or do you see this as a a roster and a team that should be back in this spot next year i think they do need some improvements i I think they would agree with that uh the staff that they got i'm sure like you said they're they're already at work um but they're not far away and what i think that team had that everybody started to really enjoy was chemistry um, that doesn't happen all the time, but I think they got more out of themselves just by uh, kind of liking each other. 
You know, and if, if you have a good relationship with your teammates as a whole, you don't have to be the same personalities. They don't have to be your best friends. You don't have to hang with them after games. But if you kind of care enough about each other, um, you don't like to see a guy go down in a bad way. He makes an error, you want to pick him up. He strikes out in a big spot, you want to pick him up. They did that a lot. Uh, but I don't think they should go into next season standing pat because in their own division, they have the Mets and the Braves. I'm sure they're both going to do things to improve uh, their chances. But uh, I do think there's some moves that they can make that would um, help you know, get them back quickly next year because this, this opportunity – they may not see it for another five years. It's yeah. just that's the way the game is. Well, that's why I say, is this a lightning-in-the-bottle type of roster, or do they have the makings of a team? Because the next question becomes, what do they need to improve? You watch this whole series, and now you start to see, all right, you had some flaws. How does this team improve? What's your first order of business if you're Dave Dombrowski? I, I, th- I think their wish list has to be um, – I just noticed that Brandon Nimmo was on uh, as a free agent was listed, and I thought – what a great addition he would be um, to the Phillies, to anybody, but to the Phillies for sure, because he might stabilize a true leadoff type hitter. And, uh, you know, a guy that's spunky, he's got a lot of energy. He can play a good, real good center field. He'll steal bases for you. He's actually added some pop to his game, uh, but his at bats are tough. What a great leadoff guy. Uh, I do think they have to rectify first base and, you know, whether that's, um, Maybe a Rizzo, because Rizzo, he, he's got home run power for sure, but he can pick it at first base. And sometimes that goes like un, untalked about or unnoticed is how important it is to the entire infield to have a strong defensive first baseman, to know that you don't have to be perfect throwing a ball across the diamond. And that guy's going to, you know, he's going he's gonna to save your rear end and he's going to pick balls. That's Rizzo. Uh, he's a plus defender. He'll supply power. It's another left-handed bat that, I can't even imagine if if you add that that bat to the lineup with Schwarber, with Harper, and you're breaking it up with Real Muto. Um, and I think Bohm has come a long way, and I think he's only going to get better offensively. So he he would go on that wish list. I know he can't get everybody because you're spending too much money, but uh, maybe even a Bogarts, um, Correa. I don't know, but I think Bogarts would be a great fit. Uh, Stott, I think, did a good job, but if we're going to be honest, I, I feel like maybe unfair because I, I haven't seen him live, but I've watched um, a lot of games televised. I feel like he, he might lack the arm strength for certain plays at short. Um, he certainly brings his game every day, and, and he improved as a hitter, uh, so he's a major leaguer for sure, but maybe second base is a better spot for him if, if you if you land somebody um, can't get all of these guys, but uh, if they got one or two of them, that could be a huge difference. Um, yeah, and a lot of people looking at Trey Turner, different shortstops, and moving Stott there. Obviously, that would uh, force them to spend a lot of money. Um, and we always say we're not, we don't know how they're going to spend their money, but they moved Segura or they elected to decline Segura. Was he a guy that you would bring back, or is that the first? Is that a smart move to start this thing off? I mean, I, I think I, I hate to speak for them when I, when I don't know their finances and what they're thinking of spending and what direction. Uh, I would welcome Segura back since he's he, to me, adds to a a true lineup. I, I, maybe I'm just too old school. Maybe, maybe the game has passed me by, but I, I think it's starting to work its way back. 
to constructing a real baseball lineup. Guys that can direction, because directional hitting isn't just for a shift. Directional hitting, if you can't hit a ball to the opposite field, you don't know how to do it, you can't stay back. You cannot stay back. So you can't cover all pitches when you fall behind an account. You can't, a sentence doesn't get it done. I'm going to stay back. That doesn't get it done. You actually have to physically do things different to hit a ball the other way. Segura can. Nimmo, if you brought him in, now you have a couple of guys. You can get away gladly with a guy like Schwarber, who is just power from his first swing to his last. You just can't get away with four or five of them, in my opinion. Yeah. You know? So that would lead us to a guy like Hoskins. He seems to be the polarizing guy. Uh, I, I said that I, he's the first guy that they should have some sort of discussions about. Is he the guy that fits for us? Is he the right guy for us? Could he get us something back in return? I think he's almost the top priority, Dave, because of his contract. He's a movable contract. He also had 30 home runs. How do you replace that? But can you win with that defense at first base? You just talked about the importance of a solid first baseman. So I think he's a very polarizing decision. But is that a guy that the organization really needs to have some tough conversations about? I think the organization likes him. I think the fan base is um, back and forth. They they like him as, as a person. They've they've had him. He's had big hits. Um, so I think they would actually, you know, maybe this could work two ways where he is helped if he's moved. It, it's going to be a little bit easier now because of the DH being in both leagues. Uh, because I think that's what he is, the DH that – can also, you know, spell somebody on the field as opposed to being an everyday first baseman. Um, I think that that the defense, I hate to beat up another guy uh, that played the game because I do know how hard it is. I never forget. Uh, but he, it's not just the errors that he makes. It affects everybody around him. They won't say it. They'll have too much respect for him. Uh, but how, I'm going to say, throwing a ball across the diamond, I've seen it a couple times, even in the playoffs, where – the throw is maybe a short hop that uh, 99% of first baseman at the major league level will pick. Reese just struggles with it. He's got value, but it's probably as a most of the time DH. And if there's, if they can get something in return, maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a decent arm or, or part of somebody, uh, somebody's contract that they could use a big name guy. But um, I think that it could be a two way, um, street for the Phillies and for Reese if he was moved into a better situation that fit his game. Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, as you said, he's a popular guy. He's a homegrown guy. He's a likable guy. How much does that factor in when the decision is made? Or is these the these are the tough decisions, Dave, that the good organizations have to make. They have to make that decision on do we just want to keep him around because he's likable and we like him. Or can he help us get to that next level? You see a guy, again, 30 home runs, but would you hit him in the two-hole? Absolutely not. I, I didn't understand that. I almost felt like, you know, we, we're all so superstitious in, in sports, but I almost felt like, okay, this has worked. Let's not change it. But I don't think he's a number two hitter at all. I, I see him as more of a six or seven guy that can he'll run into some balls. Like I said on the previous um, show that you and I did, he can draw some 0-2 walks like nobody I've ever seen. So he has an idea of the strike zone 
Um, but I don't think he fits that slot, that number two hitter. There, there's a lot that goes into a a true number two hitter. If you have a true leadoff guy that's going to run, the number two hitter's got to be willing to take a lot of pitches, let that guy have an opportunity to steal base. Um, and then if he does steal with nobody out, you need to have that number two hitter be able to hit behind him. Now you're building an inning. You're not relying on somebody to walk up and hit a home run, which can go cold, especially when you start facing the best arms in the game in a short series, right, to to be a world champion. Um, but, yeah, I, I wouldn't have batted him second. Yeah, I'm not, uh, not a big fan of him in the two spot either. Now, if you told me he's coming back next year and he's hitting five, six, seven, I'd probably feel, okay, that lineup is more equipped to be more balanced. Uh, absolutely. Well, think of Rizzo. Here I go again with Rizzo. I don't know why that just hits me, but if, if you had Harper, Rizzo, and Schwerber in the lineup, you can balance that uh, with Bone Real Muto um, and if Reese comes back. You know, but Reese then becomes your DH, maybe spells uh, Rizzo at first. Um, that makes a little more sense to me than Reese being your everyday first baseman. And then if you get to the playoffs, um, Rizzo is your everyday regardless first baseman because hopefully he's hit like he always has and he's, he's providing pop, but he also is a plus defender. It's such an important position. Yep. Do you, Mike, do you remember uh, years ago, but A-Rod had some trouble on his defense at third base, his throws just for whatever reason, like he got the yips and he was throwing them and he had just signed with the Yankees for a huge contract. The next year, the Yankees signed Doug Mankiewicz, first baseman who was a plus plus defender that didn't hit much. That was all about A-Rod. Twins, yep. That was just giving A-Rod like, and it worked because A-Rod's throws continued to be offline, short hop, long hop, and Mankiewicz was picking it. Before you know it, a-Rod got back to normal. So it, it's just such an important thing. Um, I think if Well, you let me ask you this defender, then, Dave. Is Hoskins fixable at first? or do, I, I look at him as a guy just horrible footwork, bad hands. Yeah, everybody can improve. You know, like I, I, I saw that in, in Alec Bone. I feel like he improved fantastic. So we don't get to see all the behind-the-scenes work. Uh, that is well worth it for an organization. My guess is the same exact thing was happening with Reese, that he was getting that work. Um, but, you know, that's saying you can't get blood out of a stone. Sometimes all of the extra fungos and ground balls uh, in your lifetime, you know, isn't going to be enough. So you I'm let sure me work with Reese Hoskins. And you let me work with Reese Hoskins, Dave Gallard. I bet you I could help him out. <laughs> You got some drills? <laughs> oh man, you ask my you ask my infielders, man. I'm the fungo master, uh, but I got a lot of cool drills. I, I look at his footwork and just say he overstrides at first base. He strides too early, and because he strides yeah. too early, he can't pick because he can't move his feet. His footwork yeah. is so bad around the base, and I'm just like, oh my god, uh, I don't know how much longer you can play. And look, it's one thing if you have a good team defensively around him. But he's the weakest of a weak defensive team, and that really accentuates his inabilities. Yeah, and so if I'm a Philly fan, I'm not really – I'm a baseball fan right now. Uh, and when you play for seven teams, your favorite team is the team you're on. <laughs> and, and then when I ended my career, I just kind of like baseball still, obviously. So when I'm watching a game, um, 
I seem to pull for the team that's behind. I always just want a good game. So I'm not really linked into any one particular team. But if I was a Philly fan or, or part of the Philly organization, the, the carrot was dangled in front of me. I don't want to go backwards. I want to look at, okay, what can we do to improve? What do we have in our budget? What is ownership willing to do? You know, how can the GM work with the staff and get the pieces we need? Defense, definitely a pretty good priority. Um, that's why I think my, my mind and my eyes went to Brandon Nimmo, if you can pry him, and, uh, and Rizzo. Now you've got a center fielder that gives you that, that leadoff hitter that isn't a big swing and miss guy. He's, his at-bats are tough, um, and he grinds out those at-bats, sees a lot of pitches. You know, think about if you're in the dugout and the leadoff hitter sees six or seven pitches in the first at bat. You get to see everything that that pitcher has. Does he have movement on his fastball? What's his velocity tonight? What does he have trust in? Is he trust in his slider or curveball? That's a lot of information. And uh, over the course of a year and then into the playoffs, it's extremely valuable and it's another part of the game that most people don't even think about. Well, I thought the point you brought up the other day was an excellent point about why playoff at bats are much different because you go through 162 really making having at bats for yourself and your contract and your monetary future as opposed to trying to hit behind a guy, lay a bunt down, or do something for the team, and then to flip the switch and have to do that, it's not easy. It's not. And and I think that's exactly what happens is, um, you know, guys, for the most part, not many guys know how to bunt. Because it isn't really a big part of the game anymore. To so, be fair, though, Dave, these managers yeah. don't want them to bunt, though, right? Oh, I know that. I know that. So that's that's where the game has gone, right? It's The game has gone to what is rewarded is power. And even stolen bases, it, it doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to because statistics show that you probably have a better shot at just swing let the next if he strikes out the next guy take a shot if he strikes out next guy takes a shot and then every once in a while we'll run into one and i guess it can be proven over the course of a year that you may win enough games to get into the playoffs if that's your goal to get into the playoffs that's not the goal i would have the goal i would have was be let's be better than that let's have a lot more tools in our toolbox so that when we get to the playoffs we have more ways to win offensively um everybody's got their own value to a team i don't know if i'd play in the major leagues today mike i don't know because what i brought like i think i've said this before a lot of guys are great at nothing you know dave it's funny you say that because i have brought up many times does wally joiner and mark race do they have value in today's game they hit for a high average but they don't hit a lot of home runs and you know those are guys who just got on base at you know maybe because they're on base percentages i don't know maybe yeah, I played with Wally in California, and he was he was a really good defender. He did hit for average and power. Uh, one of the strangest looking, beautiful swings I've ever seen. It just looked like there was no effort. And I'm up there grinding it out, trying to you know trying to get everything on the screws just to reach the top of the outfield wall. He's just beautiful swing, smooth, and a ball jump off his bat. Um, and Mark Grace and myself were rookies at the same time. I think he might have been rookie of the year, the same year in the National League. Um, he was a great player, too. 
But yeah, the, the players are valued so different today. Tony Gwynn, I think Tony, some of it's would, would Tony Gwynn have value at the, the same value? Would we look at Tony Gwynn today the same way that he was looked at? I, uh, he better be. I mean, if he's not, I don't even want any involvement in the game. I really wouldn't. Right. If it got that bad, if it got that bad that like guys like Tony Gwynn had no value, Wade Boggs. I, I think I'd, I'd just follow lacrosse or something. I, I don't know. Right, Wade, I, Bo- I be Wade Boggs, anymore. Dave, is maybe one of the best hitters we all ever saw, but not a guy who jumped a lot of home runs, not a great athlete, right. you know, just a guy who went up there and raked. And Wade Boggs was below average defender at third base when he broke in but i watched the man he had some kind of crazy routine i routine i think we all do i don't I'll, I'll probably get the number wrong but it was i think 150 ground balls before every game but he would do it it isn't just like this uh, legend it, it it's what really happened he'd be out there early he had a coach would come out and hit him ground balls and you talked about footwork and hands he made himself uh, more than adequate um and in my mind, I think Bernie Williams and Wade Boggs were the most disciplined hitters that I ever witnessed for every single pitch of every at bat. Right? They never, excuse this language, but they never pissed away an at bat. They could be four for four, and if they came up a fifth time, they're grinding. Every single pitch focus through slumps, through hot streaks. I admired that. I tried it. It's hard to sustain. <laughs> yeah, I, well, it's like uh, it's like playing golf for eighteen holes. You hit two or three good ones, but mentally trying to hit eighteen good ones, it's just not happening. <laughs> and then try yeah, to do that over one sixty-two. Right. Yeah. Dave, yeah, Dave tell everybody you're, what you're doing now. Played nine years in the majors, as you mentioned, with a bunch of different teams, seven different teams. Uh, but you're still involved in the game. I am. Uh, you know. The game took a lot out of me. It really did. And I, um, I'm so thankful for the game. What it did, it helped me provide for my family. Uh, start to finish through all the minor league years I played and then uh, fortunate enough to get nine in the big leagues. It was a grind. Uh, and my last spring training in 1996, when I flew home, it was one giant exhale. That's I, was, I felt like I was holding my breath my entire career because I was fighting to make rosters, fighting to stay, fighting to be in the starting lineup and then to stay. Uh, now I'm, uh, I feel like I'm too young to be retired, but I do a lot of relaxing on the beach um, in Cape May. I love it here. I'm looking out at the sunset right now. It's gorgeous here yet again. <laughs> but I'm a senior advisor for uh, Center Court Sports. Um, their, their sports development, of course, I'm in the, the baseball end of it. Um, they have seven different facilities, baseballs in four of them. And uh, what a great position for me. I, I can mentor just like we're doing. I have these conversations and um, I give my opinion on the, uh, the baseball side of it, the curriculum. Um, but also, you know, young kids today, the amateur side can be very ugly at times. Um, you know, people get uh, led by the nose in directions that probably are improper somebody's got to tell the truth about a kid because as a parent, I mean, that's what I would want. Please. If, if this is what you do, tell me the truth about my son. Don't make me chase something. And if he has the talent and the passion, yeah, I, I want to do this. And, and so does he, but if he doesn't, I need somebody to tell me, you know, so that's kind of what I'm doing now. I have heavy involvement in that. 
Well, Dave, we appreciate you uh, jumping on throughout these playoffs and the World Series. It's been a great uh, conversation piece, and a lot of people are hearing a lot of great things. And if anybody wants to find more about what Dave's doing and how you can connect with him uh, with Center Court Baseball, he's at uh, at Dave Gallagher twenty two on Twitter. You can go to centercourtacademy.com and just check out what he's doing. And uh, it's been great. By the way, I was in Cape May this weekend. No better place than Cape May. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Or do you all want to stay? I was all over the place. I was out and about, oh, okay. bouncing around. I was here, there, everywhere, man. Did you make it to Naughty Spirits? I did not make it to Naughty Spirits. Have you ever been there? <laughs> I never even heard of Naughty Spirits. No, that's this hat right here. <laughs> I like it. No, I'll have to check that out. Remember the name. You'll like it. I, I certainly will check it out. I love going down there. I met up with uh, some family, and uh, we bounced around all over the place. And uh, unfortunately, I was there when the Phillies lost, so now i got bad mojo down there. <laughs> uh, the, weather, the weather was unseasonably it was awesome. warm, but I appreciate you having me on, Mike. Dave, it was a lot of fun, man. I love talking baseball with you. Appreciate it. All right, you take care. Uh, Dave Gallagher, everybody, played for uh, seven teams, nine years in the majors. And uh, that was great having him on throughout the baseball playoffs here to kind of get perspective on all that. And if you're uh, someone, you know, that enjoyed those conversations, follow him on Twitter at Dave Gallagher 22 I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Uh, he kind of agrees with the Hoskins thing, right, that you might have to improve the defense over there and really diversify the lineup. Well, can it be done? We're going to take a look at some possibilities this offseason. Plus, more text 609-403-0973. More Sports Bash coming up. Now on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, more Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN 537. We ran a little late there with Dave, but good conversation, so we kept it rolling. Good stuff from Dave Gallagher, former major league. Played with the Phils in 95. They traded him over to uh, the Angels in 95 during that season. I was an outfielder. For those of you who don't know Dave Gallagher. I want to tell you about my friends at Ambient Comfort Heating Cooling Professionals. It's amazing how teams can suddenly get hot or cold. We just watched it. But if you suspect your heating system may need repair, call my friends at Ambient Comfort Heating Cooling and save $50 on any repair this month. If your system is making loud sounds, if you notice unusual cycling, or if your system is over 10 years old, it may need maintenance to keep running safely at max efficiency. Ambient Comfort skilled technicians are prepared to get you through the winter, regardless of who originally installed the system. Visit AmbientComfortNJ.com. When comfort matters, choose who I choose. Call 609-568-0955. Save $50 off your repair. Tell them Mike Gill from the Sports Bass sent you. So we've had a lot of conversation about uh, the Eagles and their schedule and this and that. Hey, listen, I'm not sitting here trying to pound the chest that the Eagles have played a difficult schedule, right? I've never said, what are you watching? It, the Eagles are playing this tough schedule. I'm not sitting here saying the Eagles have played a tough schedule. What I'm saying is I don't think anybody really has, right? Nobody's, uh, people are tweeting at me strength of schedule uh, things The Eagles have the 12th or 14th most difficult schedule by record. Then I have people sending me some pro football focused metric schedule strengths of this and that. The point I'm making is nobody's playing a tough schedule. Who's played a tough schedule out there? Nobody. 
I don't think the Eagles have played a very tough schedule. I think Minnesota's a solid team, but quite frankly, Minnesota hasn't played a tough schedule. So their 7-1 could be a little flimsy. Just for context purposes, for those who are wondering, the Vikings, so if you go off of the, the, the record of the teams they've played so far, not the overall season strength of schedule or the 20 other metrics out there. I'm just trying to simplify it for everybody out there. Vikings opponents winning percentage this year, 50%. Eagles, 49%. The team that has played the hardest schedule in terms of opponents this year so far is the Lions at 65%. So read into that what you will. The Lions have played the most difficult? 65% in the NFC. Here's one thing that I think these whole schedule things are flawed. Okay? The Eagles are 8-0. and So people are discounting the Eagles, right? Right. Yet, many of the teams that they have played have the toughest schedule in the league. Why? Because they have played Philadelphia. So you right. can't have it both ways. You can't say the Eagles haven't beat anybody and no one takes them serious and then say, well, this team's played the toughest schedule in the league. Well, part of the reason why they've played the toughest schedule in the league is because they have a team on their schedule that hasn't lost a game yet. They're 8-0. I mean, some of the toughest schedules in the league. You just said Detroit. Steelers, 61%. Steelers have played Philadelphia. They've also played Buffalo and somebody else who is pretty good. Minnesota. They've played Minnesota. Cowboys, 56%. They've played Philadelphia. So every team that has played Philadelphia so far has a better opponent winning percentage. Has the toughest, has quote unquote <laughs> the toughest schedules in the league. Because I don't. They played Philadelphia. Correct. I'm saying they are. They have factored in to why their schedule has been deemed tough. Philadelphia hasn't lost. Right. So the same people will say, well, Philadelphia's played the weakest schedule. This guy's sending me a, a, a strength of schedule thing. I said, are you not understanding this? Look at the teams that are at the top of that strength of schedule. They all played Philadelphia. Well, Philadelphia played a weak schedule. Yeah, but the teams that you're saying played the toughest schedule, it's being factored in that they played Philadelphia. And by the way, you know who has a good, quote-unquote, strength of schedule in terms of teams played so far? The Bills. Well, they've played the Jets and the Chiefs, so of course they're going to have a good percentage by their opponents. Well, we went through the Bills' schedule earlier, and, you know, they've played Kansas City. Okay, they beat Kansas City. They beat the Jets. I don't know that the Jets are this great team. The problem with the Buffalo Bills is, at the beginning of the year, if you looked at their schedule, you would say, man, they got a tough schedule playing the Rams, who won the Super Bowl. They're playing the Titans, who were the number one seed in the league last year. They play the Ravens. They play the Dolphins. They play the Chiefs. They play the Packers, who most people thought would be pretty good. Well, the Rams aren't any good. The Packers aren't any good. The Titans, I think, are just average. Right. The Ravens, uh, I mean, they're good. I don't know that they're super. Um, Green Bay's not very good. Green Bay is dumpster fire right now. Buffalo's schedule the rest of the way. They play Minnesota, Cleveland, Detroit, New England, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Bears, Cincinnati, New England. They don't play a very difficult schedule, Buffalo. 
There's probably only like two or three potential losses on that whole thing. I mean, they could lose to the Jets. They, they could lose, lose to, the to Minnesota. We'll have that game on 97.3 ESPN. At this weekend? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You remember he's still working? <laughs> well, I thought it could have been next weekend. I'm not 100%. Next weekend is the Eagles play a Indy, right? Yes. That's not a good team. I mean, Philly doesn't play a good schedule. I'm not. I'm not trying to back no, that they have. No, your point has been nobody plays a good schedule. Yeah, so the Eagles being 8-0 isn't diminished by they haven't played a good schedule because nobody's playing a and good And furthermore, schedule. this is not college football where it's, in, where it's a – your your value is based on strength of schedule and who your opponents are. The NFL is a week-to-week, anybody-can-win league. You can't treat it like, well, this team beat this team – no, because there's so many variables going into it from injuries to guys coming off bye weeks to, you know, guys coming back from injury. Like, there's so many. Well, the whole I think the injury thing is a big one because San Francisco, to me, is a solid team. Right. Their four and four record is not indicative of how good they are. I think nope. of all the teams in the league, you know, your record is who you what you says it is the one team. To me, that is underperformed record-wise, and that's because of injury, is San Francisco. Right. I think San Francisco's 4-4 four and four is not indicative of who they are. Now, Absolutely not. You could look at plus-minus for a lot of stats and say, all right, the other team in that boat would be Jacksonville. Jacksonville's a plus-21, yet they're only 3-6. and six. Another team is Cincinnati. Their 5-4 and four records suggest they should be better than they are. Correct. The other team is New England. They're plus 37. Miami is a minus 11. So Miami's record, some people would say, they've actually given up more points than they scored. Miami's defense is not very good. That's why they trade for Bradley Chubb. 224 points they've given up. They've only scored 213. And this is a team that has a really good offense. Now, they lost to a for a couple of weeks there. But Miami's a minus 11. Cincinnati at plus 43. That's a team that you may say, all right, they're probably better than their record indicates. Now, Philadelphia, they're a plus 90. So they are not only winning, they are winning handily. Right. The only other team that is close to them and is actually better than them in plus minus is Buffalo. Buffalo's a plus 102. No one else is even close. The next closest team... To Philadelphia at 90, Buffalo's ahead of them. Okay. But the next closest team, Philadelphia's at 90. The next closest team is Kansas City at 54. 54! That's a huge drop. That is a massive drop-off. The next team after that, by the way, is Dallas at 50. So if you're going by plus-minus, Buffalo would be one, Philadelphia two, Kansas City, three. Dallas would be four. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati would actually be the fifth best team in the league by that measurement. But isn't part of our conversation we're having is, is that, well, we can find different measurements to measure different things. So then how much of these stats really match the eye test? Listen, the eye test is what it comes down to the most. And it what comes down to on that given day. Who plays best on the day you play? I don't care if the Eagles have the easiest schedule in the league. Don't care. 
frivolous in my opinion. They, to me, the eye test says they have played teams that are on par with most of the teams in this league. Right. Jacksonville has a plus plus minus, which means what? They're well coached. They're just not finishing games. Correct. Detroit's a team that scores a lot. They just don't play defense. Yep. We've seen Detroit fight with a lot of teams. Miami last week, Philadelphia. They only gave up nine points last week against Green Bay, although Green Bay stinks. <laughs> the difference is Philadelphia is winning these games handily. Right. It's a crime to pay more than a dime, just one dime down. Springfield, Mitsubishi, Atlantic City, every vehicle only one dime down. Online, SpringfieldMitsubishi.com. More sports special. Closing out the show next. Now, back with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 5.53, get ready to get out of here. Josh has game night up next. Kevin Dershow going to talk a little Flyers. Flyers back tonight. Take it on the Blues. It's a bad Blues team right now. It's a bad Blues team, but it's a good Flyers team, despite the fact that no Couturier, no JVR, and no about half the team. No <laughs> Carter Hart tonight. He's out with an illness. Non-COVID illness. Got to specify that in today's world. Bet the Blues. <laughs> no no uh, Carter Hart, bet the Blues. Free <laughs> <laughs> over under. <laughs> and if you're going to bet the game, use my app over at the Caesars Sportsbook. First bet is on Caesars. Up to $1,250. Download the app and use the promo code RADIOFULL. Place your bet. If you win, congrats. If not, you get your stake back as a free bet. Open to new users in Jersey who are 21 or older. If qualifying bet loses, bet amount returned as a credit. Must use within 14 days. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The over-under at Caesars is a six. Yeah, I take that. I'm taking that over. Right? Blues in the over tonight. Although oh, the Flyers can't score. Blues can't score either. <laughs> so so the now, under. now we're in a real good under. I, I like the Blues tonight, though. All right. <laughs> All right. I, I'm 2-0 in college hoops so far. Of course you are. Yeah. That's, you would be. That's, uh, that's, that's where I'm at right now. 2-0 in college hoops. Who's playing tonight? I don't know. A lot of teams. I took Montana tonight, plus the four. I haven't watched Montana play a game outside the NCAA tournament in my life. I <laughs> just do some research. You look at trends. And this trend is this. I need callers 6 and 7. 609-403-0973. Caller 6 and caller 7. You're entered for this year's 99 Bottles Party. It's the biggest 99 party bottles party ever with more tickets than ever. Eagles, Sixers, Flyers, Overnight Stays, and so much more. Tickets to area concert events and tickets for events all over the area. It's at Maynard's and Margate November 23rd and call her 6 and 7 at 609-573-3776 609-573-3776 Call her 6 and 7. Good luck.